Welcome to episode two of Sucio Talk. I'm here with my main man, Charlie Apple, uh, who is currently the special project sous chef at the restaurant in Meadowood. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Charlie Apple. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Very cool. All right, so Charlie, uh, it's probably pretty weird for you that we're doing a, uh, a podcast yeah. in your home right now after so many years of you knowing me, but uh, thank you for doing this. Appreciate that. Uh, we're sitting here drinking some red wine. Um, not exactly sure what we're drinking, but here we go. Uh, some Spanish red wine. Oh, there we go. All right, some Spanish red wine. Yes, sir. Uh, so, Charlie, let's start from the beginning. Where were you born, sir? Uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. Silver Spring, Maryland, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, man. Uh, and then where where is that about, like... You know, I only know Baltimore. So, who, wh- how far away from Baltimore? Yeah, it's it's not really on the Baltimore side. It's okay, little, it's more kind of uh, more towards DC, that sort of area. Okay, uh, born there, uh, lived in Largo, Maryland for I don't know, probably like four or five years, and then we moved over to uh, Upper Marlboro, um, PG County, Maryland. That's where. That's where I lived my first 18 years. Hell yeah, hell yeah, Sir. Charlie. So uh, dad and mom, dad and mom, what do they do? What, what are their yeah. names? Let's, uh, let's so learn about that. So we're looking at uh, Alan and Sherry. Very cool. Uh, Sherry, both now, or well, Sherry's definitely retired now. Uh, she worked for uh, DC Transportation, all that for a while. Uh, dad is an author. Alan is an author. A published author. Yeah, he's written probably, I don't know, seven or eight published books. That's couple, badass. Yeah, a couple more books not published. Yeah. Right now he does uh, book reviewing for Publishers Weekly Magazine, Alan Apple, the thriller guy. Oh, yeah. Fucking Put dad. the plug in there. Yeah. Plug it in, Dad. What up, Dad? Solid. Uh, very Solid. cool. And then um, another family member that I uh, know closely because, you know, you guys stayed a couple days in my house is your brother. Yeah. Yeah, that's Alan Apple number three. Damn, that's my brother. Three Alan Apples. Yeah, it's pretty badass. He's the third, another. Uh, we call him Audie. Is his name because uh, my sister could not pronounce it when she was young, so uh-huh. she gave him the name that he will now have. He's probably he's what like fifty four. We're still calling him Audie, so that's not changing. <laughs> <laughs> Audie spelled how. A U D I A. All right. Or O D D Y. All right. Depending. That's cool. He kind of mixes it up. You uh, know? At least you have a spelling for it. Yeah. Because most nicknames, I'm like, how do you spell that? You're like, I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. You got to write that shit on a Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't know him as Alan. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. So you grew up going to school there, everything like that. And then when, when did you uh, pique your interest in cooking? When did that happen for you? Uh, probably around 14. 13 my dad was uh i remember one of the first things i remember him ever making was uh carbonara pasta carbonara really yeah and that shit was like blew my socks off had never seen anything like that and just like the fact that like you like pull the the pasta off and like you know finish it with the egg yolk so it gets all that like luxurious like yeah when you're 13 that's not really in your world of any, you know, you have no idea like what's that is in food. And, and there's some skill that. in that too. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's yeah. one of those things for staff meal. It could easily be fucked up. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. And yeah. it's, yeah. And 
it was just really cool seeing that and then you know when you're like that age you're like trying to figure out something that you like and uh yeah started doing you know started cooking for the family a lot for dinner and then what sort uh, of things were you cooking uh you know just like you know your standard you know four you know i had a sister so stuff that four people could eat you know i'd make uh, like roast chicken and rice or like roast pork shoulder or like uh um, man it's pretty badass kid that young cooking like that. you know you know that's the shit you learn. family dinner that's yeah, all right that's the stuff you learn when you're you know at least that's the stuff that i my dad te- taught me because you know i mean you that's the stuff you cook with you your whole life and, you know from that i started reading uh, a lot of books started getting into uh kind of really the like michael rollman started writing books about like um shit i forget the names but uh essentially he writes you know it was one of his first ones is where he goes to culinary school uh as an adult he goes to hyde park cia and kind of learns you know that from there or how to cook from there and you know when you're 16 15 reading those books are really inspirational and you kind of hear about like the nitty gritty, but then also like the passion that you get. And yeah. So I started so kind of going. So that was there. all kind of enticing you and you were like, yeah, I'm going to go for this. Well, yeah, it was, that was really enticing me. And then kind of what really pushed me into, into cooking was like, I needed to get a damn job. <laughs> and, uh, Dad was like, get the hell out and get a job. Yeah, essentially. Well, like, <laughs> kind of, it was more along the lines of as I was, you know, hanging out after school and apparently, essentially my parents were like, you need to stop having you hang out with your peer group because, <laughs> uh, you know, you seem to be down for whatever situation anybody wants to throw at you. And yeah. So I started, you know, I, I was getting into a little bit of trouble and then one day, uh, I forget what I, what the what happened but i did something fucking stupid and uh my mom she worked in dc and um she was literally standing at an obon pen in in line trying to get a coffee and a bagel and there was a guy in front of her in a chef coat his name was peter de george <laughs> the man but this guy worked at the restaurant next door my mom didn't know this she sees a guy in a chef coat and she's like, Hey, my son's getting into some trouble at school. He needs a job. He'll work for free. Will you give this guy a job? Because I think this is what he wants to do. And the guy was like, Fuck yeah, bring him in. That's awesome. So and your mom got you your first stage. Got me my job. first That's ill. First job. And That's that enough. job was dishwasher. And I'm talking in a restaurant. We were doing, it was a great restaurant. Loved it. We spent several years there. It's called Ten Pen was on the corner of 10th and Pennsylvania Avenue, no longer exists. Yeah. Uh, Peter Peter DeGeorge was a sous chef there. Cliff Wharton was the CDC, another very influential chef in my, my young life. Cliff Wharton. Cliff Wharton. Very and cool. then uh, the the man that owned, it was all Passion Foods Hospitality Group. Uh, the chef of that was Jeff Tonks. Okay. And that guy old school legend he was a chef of commander's palace for some time out in uh, new orleans that's where uh you know cliff wharton and all them guys worked under him and he brought them all out to dc yeah 
but like he had and that really what got me into cooking in dc which was you know working in the passion foods hospitality group i was yeah um what uh what kind of food was it where you were at so it was like ten pen was like the idea was that it was a modern american restaurant using asian ingredients um you know what i mean that's we, why you're always hooking up those pad ties for staff meal <laughs> that's where you got that from all right uh yeah, that's where i got a lot of stuff from man <laughs> that was like when we Charlie, started cooking yeah let me just state this charlie <laughs> makes the best motherfucking staff meal you ever had in your life uh thank you man that's coming from a man who's eaten it time and time again trying to find a flaw can't do it can't do it i appreciate that sloppy man. charlie's sloppy charlie a national man. favorite dude have charlie over your house for the for christmas Tell yeah. him to cook you sloppy Charlies. Oh, man. Act best, like you've been somewhere. The best part is, once you know the technique, it just becomes <laughs> yours. You know what I mean? There you go. <laughs> your name's David. It becomes, you know, you're making sloppy Davids. Uh, that's right. You know what I mean? That's right. Tim, you're making Damn, sloppy Damn, a dirty, Timmy's. a sloppy David? Is that worse than a, or better than a dirty David? Ah, oh, dude. Who knows? Who knows? Definitely sounds messier. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so you're in this restaurant group. And then, you know, your dishwasher and then what else, like, when did you get into the actual cooking part of it? Well, so I was only about dishwasher for the first two weeks. Okay. Because, so this restaurant, we do probably 300 covers a night. We do lunch and dinner, you know, lunch service in DC is, is, you know, huge. Cause you got all the people from, you know, Congress and Capitol Hill and stuff coming out and they want to eat quick. Yeah. So we definitely do numbers and, uh. Yeah, we had one of those restaurants where you you had your your hotline, and then you had the prep kitchen in the back, and then you had the you know, your dish area. Um, it was a whole nother room, and I mean, to be honest, you had sixteen year old white kid who didn't know any Spanish, and then filled with a a dish room full of latinos that didn't know a goddamn word of english <laughs> and uh you're like how what am i supposed to do how yeah, do I they're, communicate? they're showing you you know they're showing you everything yeah. you need to know but, at the end but of that's the day, how you learn your spanish man dude that's, i heard you talk to dishwashers you yeah, know what's up dude that's how it's yeah you know the entire the restaurant industry is you know there's a large latin speaking population there and, that's right baby yeah yeah and that's my people right there learned, taking you know, over i took french class in high school like an idiot and uh you know how much I use that? <laughs> French class. That's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? We, we were in culinary school and vocational uh, school in Wilcox in Meriden. And uh, they had us take one class, right? Because, you know, other than that, we were, they had to make make it worth it. Like, yeah, hey, we're showing these kids how to cook. They're going to take an academic class. So they chose French. Two days into the class, the teacher's like, do you guys really want to learn French? And we're like, nah. She's like, all right, this is a study hall now. It was amazing. <laughs> She's like, I'll pass you all, study hall. Yeah, I forget so, her name, but God bless you. Yeah, man, that's yeah. Like I said, it it would definitely be in everyone's best interest to learn Spanish as a second language, um, and you know, just from a lot, of, you know, there's, you know, we live in California, and even not in California, I mean, that's definitely there's a huge po- uh, population that you're speaking here, and if you want to go to a restaurant and not sound like an idiot. You know, yeah. Learn a little little bit of Spanish. Oh, for sure. I don't know how many French restaurants I'm going to to get, you know, my my lunch. But <laughs> I tell you, I go to you know taquerias and some of the best restaurants here in Napa are Spanish restaurants. Oh, that's right. My favorites. What what are the who, what are some of the favorites? What do you got? Uh, let's see. I mean, shit. I went Tanya's Taqueria. Yeah, that's the bomb. Bomb. Um, 
Latakiza for your fish tacos. Oh, of course, that so that good. fried brandad taco. Oh, man. That's the one. Dude, I've been going El Moranita Market. Yeah? That, that's, uh, a, that's a cool place, man. That's a straight-up butcher shop in there. You can get whole yeah. cases of whatever you want yeah, from yeah. them, man. Those- <laughs> yeah, so next door, that the little like taqueria next door to that, like right past that, that's when I know I've been getting respect from the people that I like. The people that I work with, when I walk in there, like you they pass, like, baby. Exactly. They like look at me and they're like, "How does this motherfucker know to come in here and eat yeah. this?" Man, that's so good. You know who got me in there is Lipsky. Oh yeah. Yeah, dude. He, okay. Mike Lipsky. Shout out man. to Lipsky. Yeah, oh, the Monrovia, I believe. Yeah. In uh, in L.A. Yeah. Shout out to you, man. If you're down in the L.A. area. Yeah, they just uh, they took over. You yeah. know, revamped the menu, mm-hmm. making it making it awesome. Oh, Not man. to say that it wasn't awesome before, but you know I know Lipsky. He's yeah. got some. He's got some delicious staff meal too. Dude, hell yeah! It's good you know what I would salt. always get mad at? You know I hate when people serve staff meal too hot. You know because I'm trying to eat that in yeah, 20 dude. minutes, yeah, or, or less. I so when that. it's super hot, he'd leave his curries on just boiling until it was time to serve staff meal. I'm just like, yo, temper it down a little bit, baby. I want to eat it quick. Yeah. You know, that's because you know that's his. That's his life. He's half Korean, man. That's he true, loves, man. He loves eating yeah. that food. You know, piping, piping hot. Piping hot. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the guy that like, I'm. Like, it's like I have like my coffee. I'm like, you let it come down to this like lukewarm temperature, and you just eat it all then, drink it all right then. That's right. Oh, you know? that's the best to do with tea. Yeah, well, it's perfect temperature for chugging. Mm. Yeah, nothing better than that. But uh, I digress. Where were we? Oh, yeah, so, so you. Yeah, so you're in restaurants. You're about to you're about to put your hands on some mise en place for the first time. Where are you at? Yeah, yeah. So they quickly realize that I'm like not really helping them out as much as I can because you know they're all yelling me to do stuff and I have no idea what the hell they're saying. Um, and this so is 14 year old Charlie here. This is 15. 15 year old. I think Charlie. I was about to turn 16. Yeah, and uh, so I'm cooking essentially Friday after school. I'd get out of school drive to the metro station, take the train in, start my shift, you know, and then work Saturday, work Sunday. And then I was always doing sports and stuff, but mm-hmm. whenever I wasn't, I'd be working. And What uh, kind of sports were you doing? Uh, did I was big into tennis okay. my whole life, huge into tennis. Um, and then but for school I I did swimming to keep myself fit for that season and uh I did a lot of weightlifting after school that other season charlie was yoked i was not no more swollen as they say <laughs> not anymore all right but was then so uh so yeah they they like i said so back then they you know they're like all right this kid wants to learn how to cook they threw me in the prep kitchen which was dope um i remember we had uh uh my first teachers was this gentleman named ramon and then uh i had the, we had this lady named I. Uh, Alice, but everyone just called her mama. Yeah, everybody. The chef Cliff called her called her mama. Like everyone called this woman mama. And she, my first job, we did uh, Cliff's. Um, he's Filipino, and we had the most amazing lumpia on our menu. And like literally, my job was I was to just separate the lumpia papers, like the lumpia rolls, because <laughs> you get like the stack of like whatever fifteen or ten or whatever. It yeah. Is. 20 and it, they're all stuck together so you have to un you have to pull them apart yeah and uh it's like the mama, cheeseburger person the cheese person yeah it's just yeah. like you're just unpeeling Dude, cheese hours every day and like i just remember doing that and mama would she'd you know roll them they'd teach me how to make the stuffing 
you know, the filling or whatever. And then, you know, that, you know, from there, I'd still be only allowed to separate the lumpia and then she'd make them. And then, you know, she'd try and show me and I wouldn't, know I, you know, they'd be looking like some, some fucked up joints. <laughs> you know, they weren't even at all, but, uh, they're yeah, like, so you're revoked from doing this, sir. I know, I know. So I just did lumpia and then they started letting me mix the kimchi. I remember the biggest, uh, or like the first like aha moment I ever had of like me doing some dumbass shit in a restaurant <laughs> was like, cause we'd make, we'd make mad kimchi and it would be in like the big old Lex, uh, Lexan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the deep ones. Yeah. And, uh, I'd be mixing it, you know, they give me the recipe and it's like, you know, it's kimchi. So you're just like, you know, mixing it all together, weighing stuff out. Yeah. And I remember just like, you know, it's my first job. So the other, you know, the other stupid tasks they had me doing, I was nicking my hands the whole time and I'm like mixing the kimchi and I look over at my chef and I'm like, man, mixing this kimchi really fucking hurts my hands with all these little scratches on them. And he goes, Charlie, why don't you just wear gloves? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I guess that's something I could be doing. Yeah. I'm a dumbass oh. over here. Mixing well, this. I mean, those moments is what teaches us. Hot so thank pissed. that chef. Hell yeah. Wear yeah. some gloves, baby. Anyway. No glove, no love. So yeah, so I was uh, prep cooking there. And then, you know, one day they like, uh, I forget what ha- Marvin was working on a veg uh, on the hotline and he was leaving and they were just like, and I was like gung ho on letting me working that station yeah this is like i think i was 17 at this point Mm -hmm. and like this is a legit restaurant like these jeff tonks's restaurants at this time like you know when washington post magazines and shit were coming out they're always in the top 100 so like you know marvin was like he was down for me to learn and he would pull me aside and like teach me here and there you know what he's doing because like it was essentially the station was two fryers and two walks and and you're essentially putting up the veg for both, you know both sides your your uh you know your grill and your um your saute and uh so I'm over here you know he's teaching me the- all right go ahead so at this point you know the, like I said Marvin Marvin's teaching me how to do it uh the boss man is like fuck this guy he's definitely not working this station and then I don't know what convinced him, but he pulled me aside one day and he was like, look, I think it was, you know, also we were going into summer break. So I was able to work, you know, full time. And, uh, and he was just like, look, man, uh, I should not let you do this. But seeing as how I stand directly next to you on this, you know, expo, uh, watching you run the station, he's like, you fuck up once you're off the station and, uh, don't fuck up. And I fucking went for it and I definitely fucked up sometimes, but for the most part I held it down, didn't do dumbass shit. And, yeah. You know, you just do the thing is is like you know, it's I wouldn't say it's the same going to every new restaurant, but as long yeah, as long as you just do everything that they tell you to do. Exactly how exactly they tell you to do it, you you'll be it, fine. You're yeah. fine. Listen like, to your boss. Yeah. Don't be thinking on your own. You're fucking... Yeah. You don't that, know more than them. You exactly. You don't know what's going on. Exactly. Fucking, yeah. That's something that you learn very early on, and it's a good lesson. Yeah. Because a lot of times, you know, you like come from culinary school, you're like, I know what's up, I know how to cook, and then you're put in your place, and, t- and you know. 
I do not know how to cook. Yeah. You know? It's like, you may think that this is how to do it, but this is the wrong way to do it. This is the better way to do it. Yeah. And then, and then the dynamic happens when you go to another restaurant and you've been doing something, something like the way for five years or whatever. Then you go somewhere and they're like, that's wrong. Yeah. And then you're like, what? Yeah. That was the, uh, the way when we were working over at Tallulah's. Yeah. Where you were like, or I think it was Jake comes up to us and he's like, he's like, there's the right way. Or he's like, there's the wrong way, the right way. And then the Tallulah's way. Exactly. You know? So whatever way you think is right is not the right way. Exactly. It's my way. So just right do way. it my way. Yeah. yeah. That was a strong lesson. So yeah, me, me and Charlie worked at Tallulah on Thames together. Um, but uh, that's later on in the story, so yeah, we'll yeah. stick to the chronological order here. All yeah. right? So, so you're at this restaurant, and then that's your first restaurant. Now, where do you go after that? So I'm doing that, and then uh, – so the cool thing with that, you know, in regards – you know, I get actually, you know what? So I work there. That's my restaurant. I'm also – they've kind of stuck me here and there in their other restaurants that they had there. They had three other restaurants Yeah. Uh, to kind of get my, you know – just kind of visual of these other types of cuisine that they did. Um, but then honestly, then I went to culinary school, uh, Johnson and Wales in Providence. Um, uh, and then where went to school that year. Were you uh, working anywhere that first year? Yeah, I was working at, uh, we opened up the roots, Chris steakhouse. Oh yeah, that's uh, right. Roots in Chris Providence steakhouse. that year. Yeah. So that what's is, up with Ruth Chris Steakhouse? You, you've told me about their uh, their wet aging. Yeah. What is that all about? What are, what are they doing exactly? Because I know I've, I know I have a gist of what it is, but are yeah, they doing anything I, special? Are they? I think it's essentially just you know cryovact. Cry, just leave it in the bag. Leave it in the bag. All right. Yeah, I. You know what? I simple enough. I gotta say, I Ruth's Chris Steakhouse has a time and a place. You want to, when you want a steak, oh for sure. And you want those those fries, or you want those like curly onions and shit that they do. You want that chopped salad. Yeah, they do some good stuff. Hell but yeah! I, I I gotta say, working at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse was the learning experience that I do not want to work in a corporate job. For sure. Yeah, you know what I mean when when you're young, especially you know you're you're trying to learn all these cool techniques and. You know, you're trying to be really coached by, uh, be mentored by a chef. And you know what? I had a really great mentor there, Kev Gaudreau. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Fucking great chef, great Rhode Island chef. Yeah. Um, and he Shout was the chef Kevin. there. Yeah. But, uh, he was, he was, um, when we were at Tallulah, where was he chef at? That place right across the street. Um, the pier the pier that's Here's right the pier. he's got a place called kev's place i think now up yeah in Providence, dude but... i remember one time it was saturday night service and we're at Tallulah's. you weren't there yet and uh the the garmache guy looks at me and says we're out of oysters and i'm like oh my god <laughs> we had like six orders on the board like more tickets coming in more people sitting down and uh you know it's like a bomb's about to go off we're like what do we do Chef's like, quick, go to the pier and get more oysters. I fucking ran there, man. I <laughs> ran there so fast uh, to get those oysters. I was like, I'm going to get back in like two minutes, and this guy's going to be like, what did you do? Oh, were man. they were those out back? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I go there, and I, I get in there, and uh, one of your one of our buddies that lived in Newport, uh, we went to his house for his birthday party. What's his name? I forget uh, his name. You went to his wedding, I believe. Joey Dumas. Joey Dumas. Yeah. What up, Joey Dumas? Yeah, Mike. Uh, what's he doing right now? 
haven't talked to him in years. All right, well, there you go. Uh-huh. What what up, Joey? Maybe reach out to Charlie, you know? Yeah, it'd be we nice miss to you. Hear from you, man. Yeah. Um and congratulations on his on his uh wedding, which yeah. was a long time ago now, but I haven't seen him, so it's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um so at that point I run in there, Joy Dumas is like, "Oh yeah, here you go." And I go in the walk-in and they have tanks. They got like like running <laughs> tanks and they got lobsters and crab and I'm like this is nuts. I'd never worked in a restaurant like that, so I'd never seen something like that. And I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. This is like those places that do 4,000 covers that you, that, you know, I've never worked in restaurants like that. I know they exist. Yeah. It's like, God bless whoever works in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a hard That's job. That's a hard ass job. It's getting, you know, cooking yeah. in general is hard, but when you're doing like more than a thousand covers, like, you know, we do 400 and I'm like, I, this is crazy. Yeah. You know, I can just only imagine. It's just another, yeah. For it's, sure. Yeah, and you're the way that that's run, it's it's crazy. Yeah. So Ruth Chris Steakhouse, he was the chef there. Yeah, he taught me a lot, but my biggest problem was like because it was, you know, such a huge there was a hundred Ruth's Chris's in the state yeah. or in the country at the time and they were planning on opening up another hundred or something. And uh you know, you'd get you'd get like, you know, this so and so chef, the the regional chef. Or the, you know, the vice regional chef. And it's just, you know, all these guys that roll in in suits. Yeah. And, like, just bust your balls and then just walk out. And you're like, what the fuck just happened here? Like, Yeah, this guy's this... not here all day. I don't even know him. Yeah, why is this coming, guy coming in and hassling me because he thinks that my mise en place is fucked up when it's absolutely not. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. That, I'm that's sure a crazy are... dynamic to work with. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that they've, you know, there's a reason that they're in that, that space, but... Like I said, as a young chef, that's not something that, you know, you're not really. That's not constructive education. Yeah, you're right not, there. when you're 19, you're not, you're not there to learn about SOPs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Standard I feel like when, procedures. like the best way to train a cook or like a chef is like the, the definitive difference between right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes that can get convoluted depending on how many sous chefs or managers there are and, you know. Um, that can ultimately lead to some negative energy in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. And you know, I had some fun there. I had Hell some yeah. good times. Yeah, man. But, uh, you're young. You're just line cooking, going yeah, out in Providence, just, Rhode Island every night. Crushing. That's one of those things you just you just crush. Yeah. You know, every day you're like, you, know, you just get your ass whooped. And then you go out, and get some beers. Out. And the whole time, you know, the whole time I was, I was you know, going to Johnson and Wales full time too. So I'm like. That's right. You know, I'm working 50 hours a week at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, and then I'm, you know, we'd have class from seven in the morning till one in the afternoon, and then I'd fucking go home, get on, you know, change, get on a bus, go into Providence, you know, work until, you know, what is it, one o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Come home, party. <laughs> yeah, hours. I mean, hey, you you're know, in college, you're, baby. You're in college. You're young. You can do it, and then wake up, sleep a couple hours, wake up start it all again yeah um so yeah sleep deprivation yeah we something me and tyler was talking about yeah, yeah you I know was listening to that shit. it's your training yeah you know um that's so, awesome yeah, i did that did that my first year and then i i went back to dc uh and that was cool because i worked um at that point i went back and they threw me on hotline uh saute dinner service at acadiana which was their louisiana style fish house uh, within the passion fruits, uh, group, hospitality group. 
and that was just that was literally the hardest station in the entire company to work yeah and i'm 19 working that and it's like i worked dinner service there and i was the tornado for their other three restaurants at the time for the lunch service so so you went somewhere different to work every day yeah depending so, on where they needed you yeah so every time they give somebody two weeks off vacation i'd go work their station for two weeks okay and it was in the daytime so so it didn't switch every day no every okay. two weeks it switched because that'd be confusing motherfucker show up Dude, to the wrong rough, to the man. wrong restaurant and like, like so you, it was cool though is because like so they're all the the way that it was you know at the time the restaurants were set up was where they were all within walking distance so you'd uh 8 30 you'd start your lunch shift at you know say i'd go work at saba they're another restaurant they had another great restaurant it was latin american i go to saba work 8 30 in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon crush lunch walk over to acadiana yeah three or four blocks away clock in at 3 30 close at you know 1 30 or however it would yeah, be. yeah get on the train take that because i was living at my parents still on pga take that back down to uh suitland because that's where um that was my stop green line suitland i fell asleep on that train so many nights <laughs> just... woke up woke up on branch avenue with just the conductor being like hey get the fuck out of here this is the last train you gotta get it trying to get a taxi back to suitland at like you know three in the morning how far away is that uh i mean it was just a stop but it's you know it's a 20 minute cab ride yeah you know at with no two o'clock three o'clock in the morning wow um, that's you know cell phones they had cell phones then yeah you know it was yeah, about but there was four no years in then. at that point yeah that's right that, that was that was you going outside to a taxi and being being like can you take me to suitland and that taxi driver saying no and driving away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or being yeah. like, I don't know how to get there, man. I don't want to fucking deal with that. And you're printing like, some map quest. Ugh. You know? But uh yeah, so I did that. I worked for those that restaurant group and that was dope, man. I because that's they all had the cool thing about it was they all had the same relative ingredients in terms of proteins. Um yeah. but all of the other things, you know, all of everything else was so dynamic and all the other preparations. Which was cool because like, you know, if you were, if you ran out of tuna at one restaurant, you call up the other restaurant and send send little Charlie over there, go pick up all the tuna you need, and you'd be okay that service. You know yeah. What I mean? So it's it was very helpful, but uh, I mean, like That's I said, pretty cool, man. Yeah, they had Sabo, which was Latin American. Ten Pen, you know, showed me Asian ingredients. Acadiana, that was, um, you know, the uh, the Louisiana style. Then they had a place called DC Coast, which is more like American coastal. Featured different regions, uh-huh. different fishing regions in the U.S., which was really cool. And I would later co- go back to be a sous chef there before actually coming out and moving out here. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. That's where you went after after Tallulah's. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. But, so uh, then you so you do this, and then you go back to school for what? Your second back, year. Yeah, I go back to second year. That's when um, I met uh, you. That's when we met. Yeah. Uh, we started, let's see, yeah. We, we met, I was still going to school full-time. I went on my externship in uh, uh, Christchurch, Bournemouth. It's um, Christchurch. Yeah, it's out on uh, it's on the English Damn. Channel in England. Yeah, I was at the Chewton Glen Ho- uh, the Chewton Glen Ho- Ho- Spa and Hotel. It's like the number one best rated spa in Europe at the time. You're telling me there's a straight town called Christchurch. Christchurch. It's tiny as fuck, man. I That's was, badass, dude. I was. That's probably in, the strongest name I've ever heard in my life, dude. I was staying in this town, and like, I get there, and like, 
It's like I'm, I'm renting a room in uh, this guy's house, <laughs> and it's this guy's family. And, uh, you know, he picks me up, and I'm all like, I'd never left the U.S. before. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And, like, I barely got to Christchurch, you know what I'm saying? Like, that shit. Like, I flew into, you know, London, somehow managed to get my ass onto a train forever away. Yeah. And then down there in a day. And, uh, you know, the guy is just like, uh, you know, he, he's like, there's more people here over the age of 60 than under the age of 20. That's the amount of people. Like, it's just a town of all old people. Yeah. That's and, wild. Uh, yeah. And, but it was cool, man. It was right on the channel. Uh, so, like, when I, you know, and like they do a lot in Europe, you, you go and you work you work a morning shift and then you leave for, like, you know, three hours Siesta. or whatever. Yeah, and then you come back. That's and, pretty badass, man. Yeah, it, it was hard to get used to because, like, you know, at first, like, the, you know, the mentality of here, you, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm coming from essentially commuting, working at a restaurant at 8.30 and then working straight through until 1.30, 8.30 in the morning until 1.30 in the morning pretty much. Um, and then you go to a place that's like, all right, you leave at 2.30 and you come back at 5.30 or like 4.30 or something like that. You've got a couple hours to kill. And it's like, well, I should be doing something. Yeah. But everyone, They don't let you work at all. Yeah, you, like, you have to leave. You have to leave. You leave and, you know, everybody in their right mind goes home. It's England. They and fucking sleeps. take a nap. They drink a cup of tea and they come back to fucking work. But us, I mean, I was always like in in need of doing something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you go but it was cool. I go out. You know, I go out, like I said, to the channel and sit on the beach and fucking, like, stare at the water and stuff. It was cool. It was cool. The thing that sucked, though, was the fact that, like, the whole fucking town would close down at those hours. So you'd think, You like, couldn't go anywhere. Yeah, you'd think, like, oh, at least I'll go, like, grocery shopping or, like, I'm going to go grab some food, like, in town. No, nah, everybody's Nothing, sleeping. Nothing's open. <laughs> They've all gone home to have tea and shit. Hey, um, yeah, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, maybe, so, maybe we should try that. Yeah. America. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we did that. So you over while you were over there though you got into uh, a little bit of DJing right? Am I wrong? Yeah, uh, not really. I, I, a good boy, uh, mine Ben Gallup. He uh, Ben Jammin. Yeah, 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 Ben Jammin. Yeah. Yeah, he used to uh, he used to be all into the uh, the dubs or the the drum and bass. Yeah, because I remember when I went to your house uh, in Providence, you 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 had the the turntables. Yeah, yeah, he got me all into some. it. He used to. He actually later became like a, a DJ out there a little bit. Yeah, and uh, he got because we used to just come home from work and you know chill out and he'd mix records and show me how to mix records and whatnot and it's just cool, man. It's fun yeah. doing that. Yeah, that's awesome. Doing. I mean, the music is great. I love drum and bass. Yeah. You know, getting yeah. into that. I actually heard a few songs i got into it and then i asked you about it because i knew you knew i was yeah. like hey man what's up with some classic 90s drum and bass <laughs> won't, won't, won't. yeah man um, oh yeah so so you did that internship and then what did that entail did you work all the stations or did you just stay on one station no nah, they kept me on um i pretty much like was doing like garmage stuff um which in that point was like uh you know like the the terrines um that sort of stuff. I remember we had foie and like poi lentils. It was pretty classic. Yeah. Um, How'd you find this spot? Uh, Out of everywhere that you could have gone. You know, you know, what's funny is uh, I was, the plan was to go to the, uh, the water, Waterford grill in, in London, which uh -huh. is like, 
three Michelin star institution. Like they had a Waterford Grill in uh, Waterman in then in the Waterman. Was it the Waterman? Ah, uh, dude, th- that's what fucks me up. It's like this is an institution that I always get confused with a <laughs> with crappy the, restaurant in Providence with the with the Waterman Grill had almost yeah. the same name with the Waterford or the Waterman. Dude, I'm gonna sound like an idiot now. The Water One. <laughs> it's all right. Well, we anyway. It's got three stars. I, I'd, in I'd, I'd have right? known. Yeah. So I gotta know. Anyway, uh, what year was this? Two thousand eight. Twenty. I'm sorry. Two thousand. Yeah. Twenty oh eight. All yeah, right, here we go. So I was supposed to, I was, the plan was for me to go there and, uh, they like set me up and whatnot. And then I went to see my, uh, you know, the guy that was in charge of like getting my ass out there. And he was like, Hey, sorry, they just gave your position to two French interns. So, uh, how about this other place? And I was like, where's it at? And he was like, it's in England. And I was like, sick. Cause at that point, like I was really interested in, in cooking still and like you know learning the food but i was not, i was less interested in working at a three michelin star restaurant and more interested in just traveling to europe and being in in england yeah and kind of like you know seeing what's just there. seeing something different yeah yeah yeah, That's yeah. Cool, man. so like i said the the michelin situation wasn't like a, a make it or break it for me yeah and uh and then they did wind up uh the chewed and glad did wind up getting they had one star nice um that was after but, after you your internship was over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I met some sick chefs there. Like, and you know what? Like, which which is nuts because so I was doing that when I was nineteen, and then you know I there's a you know a big gap between there and my time at at Meadowood, but the young the young cooks that I was working with at the Chewton Glen. Yeah. That were also doing their internships and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Later became great chefs throughout Europe or and England. And like you know, like a lot of people would come and we would have mutual we would know these the same people. Yeah. Like Yeah, I remember that. You you had that connection with people. Yeah. It was cool. Like, man. You know this guy. When when did that happen? That happened to you in the twelve days, I think, or something like that. Yeah, it's happened to me a few twelve days. Um, you know, Ben when he came out too. Yeah, that's um, right. Ben Champkin. Ben Champkin. What up, Ben? We knew some some we had some mutual friends. Um, you know, Ollie. Uh I forget Ollie's last name, but he was he worked uh with Ben. Yeah. And I remember Ollie as being this like goofy little kid. That now is like fucking running Simon Rogan's restaurants right now. He's a fucking badass. There you go, man. Um, the persistence, but, the ambition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, even Lucas too, because they're at. Um, oh, that's right, Lucas. Yeah. Lucas that just worked at Tram, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He All was right. at uh, what's the restaurant in the Leadbury? The Leadbury. Yeah. So you know what, man? That was like I took a trip in February and I went and ate there, and it was amazing. Yeah. I went for the lunch menu and I had the lunch tasting and it was spectacular. Yeah. Like the dining room is beautiful. The service is perfect. And then at the end of it all, I got to go downstairs and hang out with the chef for probably like an hour while he just did service. They That's fed me my last bite down there and he just did service. And I was like, this is awesome. And he walked me through everything and like I got to meet all the cooks and I got to... He was like video edit, like take pictures, whatever you want, and Fuck yeah. like that. That was that was yeah, that was an awesome experience. That's a cool man. That's that's what's great about the restaurant industry, man. Is if you're a cook here, 
and you're a cook there, we'll take each other under each other's wing. Like, yeah, man. You want to see the, you want to see like see what we're doing in the kitchen. You want to see what we're doing in the restaurant. What are you doing after this? You want to go get drinks? Yeah, like exactly. What are you doing tomorrow? Come go eat at these restaurants. It's a tight knit get... community. Yeah, man. That is get... quick to make you family. Exactly. Like within a week, if you if you act right, if you push, if you work hard, yeah. you're pretty much you're pretty much in. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where like so that's where because we knew Lucas, uh, he and I had a mutual uh, a mutual um, friend, uh, Matthew Hewlett. Who was when I was at Shooting Glen? He was on fish, and he was just a fucking gangster cook, and he was young. Yeah. And he wound up being like he wound up going to the Fat Duck and being the Sioux, and I think the executive Sioux, and then he went to Ledbury and was the executive Sioux at Ledbury. Yeah. Dude crushes. But like same deal. This guy comes from Czech Republic, and he's like, "Hey, do you know Matt Hewlett?" And I was like, "Fucking yeah, I do." And he's <laughs> like, "He was my chef, whooping my ass every day at the Ledbury," and I was like, "Oh shit." That's fuck, crazy, man. man. Yeah. Yeah. Legacy. Yeah, Once man. again, man. That's all fuck, it is. Dude. It's cool, dude. Yeah. Um, so then, so then, uh, you know. So I come back. Yeah. Yeah. I come back to college because I'm getting, you know, I get a, we, I got a bachelor's degree at Johnson & Wales. It's a four-year degree. So I come back. Um, you know, I'm going to school, same deal, but I still need to get a job because, uh, like I said, I, I was telling you earlier, I was really into tennis. Yeah. And, like, the idea at a young age was that I was to get a tennis scholarship and that is what would allow me to go to a university. To a university. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you can't just, they're expensive. Like, yeah. They're really expensive, man. Yeah. And, uh, I definitely had academic scholarship with that as well. Cause you know, you, you'll find, you know, there's a lot of people out there willing to give you money if you write essays. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like James Beard foundation, That's things right. like that. Like if you're young and you're trying to get like five hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, like that's a big amount of money for like a quarter, you know what I mean, or trimester, yeah. whatever you're gonna do. Anyway. So uh where was I going with this? I'm back. Uh I have to get a job because it's a D three school and I get no tennis scholarship. So yeah. tennis is gone from my life and I have to get a job to, you know, support myself. Uh so uh, I link up with Kev Gaudreau, same guy, links me up with uh, his previous restaurant that he left to go work at Ruth's Chris. Chris Steakhouse, okay. which is Trattoria Simpatico. Trattoria Simpatico. Fuck yeah. Legendary. Yeah. Jamestown, Rhode Island. Head chef Chris Caruba. Chris, Caruba? Chris Farrell. Chris Farrell. Dude, those guys are legends. 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 Dude, they taught me so damn much. And those are just some great chefs. Like... And I'm talking like same deal, day in, day out, you know, producing amazing things. Like, you know, there's you, you meet people our age and you're like, you know, hey, I need you to go cook this. I need you to go make this fucking sauce, this like classic sauce or, you know, I need you to make ice cream. I need you to make brownies, you know, yeah, I mean? yeah. just easy shit and even at our level, like people are like young people are like, Oh yeah, I can do that. And then they, but they've never fucking done it. Before. Exactly. And they go look up a recipe and they make their best version of the recipe. But these are chefs that like, they fucking made this shit, you know, for 20 years, yeah, 30 years. Yeah. Like, dude, you want to talk about something simple and delicious? You talk about Chris Farrell's brownie. No, oh. dude. Like award winning, dude. 
This shit was like just never had a, a better brownie since. You know, I'm saying. I'm sorry like, for anyone who's for, ever baked me a brownie. For the, for all for all the dessert, crazy intricate dessert courses that I've had, and people being all like, you know, trying just trying to do all these crazy things with all these flavors and you know and, and everything being jumbled up like. At the end of the day, if you were to eat that, is that better than this man's brownie? No. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm this sorry. This man's brownie. Like, hey, man. But I, I obviously, you. hold on. And I just, I'm just saying, he's a fantastic chef. Yeah, he man. fucking ran restaurants. Like, yeah, the this White guy Horse do, yeah, this dude Tavern do, in, in Newport, Rhode Island. so Badass. much more than just that. But I'm just saying something as simple as I used as to that. sneak into the walk-in and steal the brownies, man. Dude, I used to I eat used the to, brownies. Yeah, I used to eat so much Don't of that him. shit. He'd be so pissed. He'd be fucking coming out there. Yeah, like, man. He'd be like, I know the- I made 26 of these and there's only 20. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck, <laughs> dude? Because all of us would go in there and just grab it right yeah, off the seven, rack. Seven motherfuckers go in there and eat one brownie. Yeah. That's like half like, a quarter of a He'd, he'd count, too. He'd be like, one, two, three, four. There's four of you motherfuckers. <laughs> I baked 24 brownies. Now there's 20. <laughs> all right? Don't, <laughs> yeah, dude, he would know. Tweaking. Would know. Oh, man, I love that guy. But dude. Okay, so came back, started working at Trattoria Simpatico, started at the bottom rung. They, you know, shucking oysters. Darmage. No, or raw bar. I was raw bar, dude. Damn. They harvest. They, so, I get uh, I get a job. I get the job there, uh, and I can't start for a week because I'm like you know doing something. I go home see family or something. Uh-huh. I get uh, I get my boy Bobby Fagan a job there as well. Bobby Reagan. He started and, the same time as you. Yeah. So I well I got him the job. He came down at the same time. Yeah. And he started a week before me, and he's like, I'm talking to him. He's like, bro, you've already got a nickname. I'm like, what do you mean I already got a nickname? I haven't even. Like, the only person that's met me is Karuba. Yeah, as the chef. And he's like, dude, your nickname is Shucky Mac. Shucky Mac. Shucky. Because I'm working on a raw bar. I'm shucking oysters. Damn. And I'm like, I'm like dude. I'm like, Just no on way. the schedule. On the, I'm like, that's the thing. I was like, no way I'm fucking getting, I'm getting called that. And he's like, dude, you're on the schedule. It's Shucky Mac. And I'm like, what the fuck? He's like, don't worry. I'm on his Barnacle Bob. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, where that's our, right. You know, we started. Barnacle that's Bob. Name. But yeah, man, it went from... But then I went for, we did raw bar and like, you know, you're running cause you know, they're running 400 people a night. So like you're literally doing raw bar getting crushed with like, you know, people are coming in ordering 10 dozen oysters. You know what I mean? So you get, you just, you're gone for 20 minutes. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you're also just running food to the guys on the line that are just crushing through mise en That are just yelling at you. Screaming like. Like, I need corn. Pasta. You Go get the corn. And you just run into the fucking Yeah, you just run. Ground. One of those situations that, like, when I told you I ran for those oysters, that's what you did. You ran as fast as you can yeah. and risked bodily harm yeah. to get those fucking ingredients to the line. <laughs> That that was that was cool. That's a cool feeling, you know, to to know that you would do that for for a fellow cook. You know what? That it really it really puts you in a place to be like, I want to fucking be that guy. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, you for you know for you to strive to be because that guy is like um he's like a motherfucking pirate. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's he's drinking all night. He's fucking. Coming in all hungover in the morning, like, you know, your classic chef that, yeah. you, that you think of and just like immediately snaps into it and then just crushes service and yeah. everything you see. It's like, it's like, God damn, I know this guy was drinking all night, but I'm sitting here watching him baste that meat and just cru- like 
this dude's cooking at the same time he's cooking, you know, 30 veal chops, 20 fillet cuts of filet mignon, fucking 13 ribeyes. They're all going on this huge grill. He's, you know, these racks of lamb, you know, they're all cooking at once at yeah. this time. And he's executing this and cooking this perfectly. Yeah. All, right on temp, all these meats. I remember the fear Dude. that I had on, like, you know, when I started working there. Yeah. Uh, which, thanks to you, you know, Charlie got me my first cooking job ever. Yeah. Up until that point, I was just school cooking. Yeah. In high school, in all of high school, and then now in Johnson & Wales. And if it wasn't for you being like, hey, what are you doing this summer? You want to cook? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, I want to cook, you know? Yeah. And went down there, and Stas got the job. Uh, pretty much just because Charlie said, give this guy a job, not because I did a good job at all. Dude, I mean, honestly, but. that's kind of what it was. Is like <laughs> I was at the point where, like, shit, if I don't get a body in this station, I'm going to have to work this station, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm going to have to do both. So that's right. Like, so you got me on Garmage over there. Hell yeah, man. So we got you over there. You know, we got you learning grill. And that was my that was my jam, my my bread and butter. I first lunch grill baby yeah i, I remember monday put it to me he's like because we were driving to work you were already there and we were working dinner and and uh we were coming in and he's like you see that fucking board right there in front of the restaurant charlie's fucking special on there every day <laughs> you know and i remember at that point i didn't feel confident enough to put a special on i'd yeah. be like what do i do you know and most of the time i would just copy what the fuck you did Whatever yeah. you did the day before, and just change an ingredient, and just, you know what I mean. But that, like, I remember that, like, uh, anxiousness. Yeah, that like, pit, that feeling in the pit of your stomach. Yeah, but then, but then, you know, at the end of the day, uh, now looking back on it, I was working somewhere where people were better than me. Yeah, and that is what I needed to do. Because at that point, how long had you been working in restaurants? I was. 20 so i'd been i'd been in there give or take five years yeah so like i'd have four years of schooling which is cafeteria work and if the teachers come into the fine dining kitchen yeah you know they can order shit but it's like that's it yeah like to actually work in a restaurant is the best training that there yeah. is and that school can't give you yeah and it's like you know and it was really cool to be able you know we had our whole like group of culinary like it you know there this so this restaurant is in jamestown rhode island uh it's a 40 minute drive south of providence on you essentially drive onto an island to get there there's some great road trip stories there yeah there's some great you stuff know? that happened but you got flashed you know some <laughs> Dude, ladies so much cool stuff happened. you know sitting in that traffic yeah that beach sitting traffic. in that beach traffic just hot yeah just you know but like you know so we we had a crew it was it was at, at one time there was probably six Six or seven yeah, guys. Yeah, six Johnson and Wills guys. Yeah, was, that were going down there at one time, and they're all you know, they're all our friends. Yeah, Andrew Marsilio. Shout out to Andrew. He yeah. was uh, last time I saw him, I went to eat at the restaurant he was at uh, in Westport, Connecticut, I believe. Yeah, a Walrus and Carpenter. Yeah, is bomb. Yeah. Um, and then what is Bobby doing right? Now? He's in Boston. Yeah, Bobby's in Boston now. He's working with the uh he's like doing a bunch of management with the uh like the Tate bakery situation. Yeah. He's, he's running like I don't know like seven bakeries or some shit. Yeah, like man. breakfast spots, but Yeah, man, it was cool. We had remember we had Dusty coming down That's there. That's right, Dusty at one point. Who was Karuba's brother? Yeah. The chef's brother. Yeah. Chilling with us. And uh but dude, it was so cool to be on like 
Because that's the thing is, you know, when you're coming up with these specials, like Karuba would work with these farms in Jamestown. Uh, Farmer Jen. Remember oh, Farmer, Farmer Jen? Jen. She's Sexiest fucking... farmer I've ever seen in my life. Ugh. Just hot. Back before I even knew what hot was. Dude. You know? <laughs> I was just like, I don't know what I feel for this woman, but I feel it. You know? Farmer chicks, man. And she'd come in with her fucking... I remember those cayenne peppers that she brought in? Yeah. Dude, yeah, yeah. So they bring in cayenne peppers to the restaurant, and I make the mistake. I had uh, I had cut myself a handlebar mustache because I was doing that event with Chef Jake because I had both jobs that summer. Yeah. I was working at Chef Jake's Tallulah Thames. That was before Charlie got there, and we were both working at the track. Yeah. And fucking... We had that uh, that strawberry cayenne jam. Yeah. That so yeah, so she brings yeah. she brings the cayennes and I'm like, oh sick. So I work with them. I'm like, man, this is such beautiful peppers. And then I fucking just rub my mustache one time, not even two times, just one time, just the mustache though. <laughs> and so I had and I had a handlebar, so it was only this one outline on my around my fucking mouth. This is while you're working lunch. Yeah, service. I'm working lunch service, and I'm like, Charlie, I need you to take over right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I literally pour milk into a bowl. And sit out back and put my face in Dude, that bowl. You chopped some cucumbers up too and put that in the bowl. Oh, too. that's right. It was I like some... a bowl of milk with cucumbers in it, and you just dipped your face in it. I dipped my face in it, and I was sitting out back for like twenty minutes, and my face dipped in there. As it I was, was just getting my ass. Whooped. I'm telling you what, it was the best feeling <laughs> because those peppers were so hot, man. Well, now you guys know what like, to do out there. It you was, get... yeah, you get cucumbers, chop them up, put them in some milk, put your face in it. Yeah, or any other part that's affected. <laughs> By the pepperness that uh, is cayenne peppers. All right. Yeah, man. Farmer Jen, delicious Farmer peppers, Jen. delicious produce all around. I, I thought that was cool, man. I thought that was the best part about working there. I mean, that's what started really the kind of just understanding, you know, having a closely knit farm, you know, literally like this island. I don't know, it was, what, like, three miles wide and seven miles long? It's it's small. Yeah, it's tiny. So, like, you got a farm on there that's bringing this restaurant. And there's not many restaurants on this island either. There's three. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just really cool to be – and that's where, you know, we're talking about specials and stuff. Like, I wasn't there thinking up all these crazy things. It was like, what did Farmer Jen bring – and just what's in the walk-in. Yeah. You know, we walk in what, the walk-in. What do we need like, to get What do we have yeah. a lot of? Like, yeah. shit, we got all these cayennes. Let's do something with them. Let's got, you know, we got all this watermelon. Let's do something with them. We got all these tomatoes. Let's do something with them. So it, it what's cool about it is it becomes less of, and that's, you know, what obviously cooking seasonally and with close partnership of restaurants are and what honestly cuisine should be in general, not to heighten it at all. It's like just what the bare minimum should be is you know working with the season working with what's local but that's what runs the special it's not i mean the the chef obviously tweaks it and adds you know a value to it that a normal person at home could not do yeah which is why people come to a restaurant but i mean exhibiting what you know for me to make a special that day or plan it for two or three days in advance say a week in advance like that's a week's time right? yeah this farmer grew these peppers you know she bought the seeds in fucking february yeah planted them in you know started seeding them in march hoping April, hoping hoping looked that at you those buy them. things you know weeded it 
killed the gophers that's around it. Like this person's been looking at this damn pepper for five months before it comes to me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, you know, that's the beauty. That's what you're trying to exhibit is, I mean, in my opinion, but, uh, but yeah, man, that's what was so cool about having all of us that young there. It's just, yeah. Cause we were all know, hungry, man. We hungry. all wanted it. Yeah. And we were working in a place where we reinvigorated Karuba and Farrell. Yeah. You know, and they like, were just like, they were down. Yeah. They what were like, want? dude, you guys want it? Let's fucking do it. Yeah. Like it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. And, Plus uh, the, just the, the crushing day to day. Yeah, man. It dude. was busy, dude. I remember we'd, we'd prep 22 gallons of, of stuff and, you know, by the, by the four or five containers. Dude, I remember we come make, back is gone. Dude, I remember You're like, what happened? I remember we would make. Because, you know, it's New England, so we're making clam chowder. Oh, yeah. And to me, this clam chowder is still better than any other clam chowder I've had anywhere. That's right, baby. I'm saying that. Mm-hmm. And but we would make this shit, shit in the 10-gallon batch, right? <laughs> I'm talking about a rondeau that fits That's six right. burners. You, remember, That's the, we made you that. remember that day Nick Handy made yeah. two five-gallon buckets of chowder, and then someone came to the back door and said, hey, can I buy two five-gallon buckets of clam chowder? <laughs> He had like a he had like a party going on or something like that, and he had a he was like yeah, I'll sell you. I mean, it wasn't even him; it was Chef. But of course, he's Chef's like, gonna sell it to him. You know how much money that? Is all right, now you got to make this thing that you just spent four hours making again. You got to cut all the potatoes. <laughs> you you got to cut all the bacon. Shuck all the corn. <laughs> Dude, it was like yeah. I felt so bad for him. It was like the time he picked up that case of potatoes and just gave out. <laughs> and all the potatoes just rolled on the, the floor. He oh. looked. He looked up in the sky. He was like, "Where? What? <laughs> what did I do to deserve this?" You didn't the, do anything negative. Yeah. Name of the game. It's bro. the name of the game. Everything uh, that can go wrong will go wrong love that, at man. any point in time. But you know, at the end of the day, that guy got his chowder. That guy's people got their chowder. You're damn right. They and got their everyone chowder. at that damn restaurant got their chowder yeah. too. Thank God Nick Handy was there. Ain't if it? he wasn't. That was like the, that was it. like the one thing you don't eighty six is the damn chatter. Yeah, you gotta know. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can't be living in, you can't be in New England, you can't be having servers tell tell the guests we're at a clam chatter. Yeah, in New no, England. that's not no. They'd be like, go outside and that's cause for a riot. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, so, so yeah, Tortorius Simpatico. I was there. Um, yeah, we were there for a while. Yeah, I was there for a long time, man. I was then, there four years. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I remember because there's always this thing I think about, and I'm like, am I gonna leave before that person or am i gonna go before that person yeah and uh i was working at the two spots and then it, you know chef jake rojas was like yo you either work here like all the time or you know what i mean like this needs to be a commitment yeah and i was looking for some you know a little bit more challenging anyway so i was like yeah i'll do it yeah definitely that next uh level yeah. of, of food and i went um, over there and then you had stayed there for a little bit but then you went to dc to that spot no, right. no. So I stayed there for a year, and then I came to work at Tallulah. That's right, so, but yeah. you were about to leave. That was the thing. So you I were was literally like, yeah. So this, you know, this is actually kind of an interesting um, thought process that I had in terms of my career, um, because I was two days from moving to New York City to go. You know, I'd been down there staging. I had been at, uh, you know, staging at Nougatine and Jean Georges. Uh, we had a mutual friend working there. Smithers. No, O'Hara. O'Hara. And then who's I now would, a sue at the laundry? Yeah. Uh-huh. And then uh, 
so he got me in there in stages. I was a Charlie Palmer Oriole, Charlie Palmer Oriole yeah. with Smitty. Uh, they offered me a job. That's when Tom was down there working at EMP. Okay. And, you know, what really got me was, so I was literally two days from moving there. Like, I was packed up. I had staged. I was going to move there and work at one of those restaurants. And, um, you know, what got me was it was restaurant week. And when I was at, you know, when I was at Jean-Georges in Nougatine, they had me mise out this recipe. That's uh, like a, you know, a classic recipe of theirs where it's it's like a miso butter situation that's like sheeted out mm-hmm. and then they lay it onto salmon and then they broil that right it's super delicious and it's like old school jean georges yeah, yeah and so we're drinking later you know i mean that out not even thinking about it like this is the coolest fucking restaurant i've seen in a while like dope um so we're like out in brooklyn later we're with o'hara we're with his boys that like worked, you know, at Jean Georges, like left. I think he was a Sioux at, at Nougatine. You know what I mean? The, it's very, you know, a lot of these guys are bouncing, you know, they bounce throughout these restaurants. And, uh, you know, they get this Sioux, he's a Sioux at this restaurant and he's, you know, making his, his, uh, restaurant week menu. And Sean's like, what are you going to do? And he's like, oh, hey, I'm thinking about doing this like salmon with like a miso, like crust. And O'Hara's like, bro, how very Jean George of you, you know? Yeah. And he's like, oh, and then he just kind of like talks a little bit about it and kind of steps away and, you know, steps around the conversation. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. And then uh, I go home. I'm in Providence. That's when I was living in Olneyville. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I'm doing research on my own, other, you know, looking just at other menus in New York, you know what I mean? Because at this point I'm like, you know, New York is the – you know, that's the Mecca of where you want to be as a chef. You yeah. can move to New York. And I'm looking at these menus and dude, I saw this same damn thing on two other menus at two other restaurants. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I, like I said, you know, much respect to all of New York cooks, chefs, all that stuff. But I kind of felt, I feel like there, for a certain cook, there is definitely like my thinking on it is that you kind of it's like a conveyor belt where you all you learn kind of all of the same techniques Mm -hmm. and you know you go work at one place they put you on the pasta station where you learn how to make one kind of pasta for a year and then you but they won't let you really do anything more at that restaurant so then you're young you you know when you're young you're working at restaurants one year two years tops yeah before you're moving around because in your head you're like i want to see as much as possible so then you go to a different restaurant, you learn this one thing. You go to a different restaurant, you learn this one thing. And a lot of these classical restaurants that aren't really pushing – I mean, they are pushing the boundaries, but they you know, they, they have – They know what they like. They know what they like. Yeah. And I just didn't want to fall into that same thing of like me leaving New York five years later knowing the same things that so many other cooks have also learned. Yeah. In my opinion, that's like where's the leg up? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. So that's when you reached, literally two days before yeah. I moved down there. You, you literally had your me. car packed up. And yeah. I was like, I was telling Chef, Chef Jake. At first he was like, no, nah, I don't know about that Charlie Apple, man. His, <laughs> his last name is a fruit, and I don't know if I can hire this man. And I was like, yo, yeah. this man right here taught me how to cook meat on a grill. Yeah. Okay? Hire him, because we need a meat cook at the time. Yeah. I hadn't yeah. even worked meat yet. I was on veg. Yeah. 
he was I mean, I was that like, was the deal he was stepping off the line and he wanted yeah. someone to step in yeah and, and uh, uh that was dude the best thing that ever happened to me yeah like you being like fuck yeah i'll come there yeah and that's but because and so to speak like like i said i had two options at that point and one was going to new york and doing this in what i see this linear fashion of happening and the other was this Tululan thames which shit there was four people in that kitchen yeah counting the dishwasher that's it yeah you know what i'm saying it was a veg cook chef meat which was he did all the meat he did all the fish and he did all the pasta uh and then you had your pastry garmage yeah and then you had your dishwasher that did bread and butters as well mm-hmm. because you fucking worked and there was four burners on meat and six yeah. burners on veg on entremet yeah and two of those burners were taken up by like a heating station thing yeah like a yeah and one of the meat stations was like a pasta water yeah. which i remember that the first thing that was taught to me on veg was how to place your pans because you had this one rack and you had to figure out how to put <laughs> so many pans on there with sets and keep them hot and keep them hot and know what they were where when you put them there. Yeah, right? you got two tops, you got three yeah, tops. Yeah, two tops, three tops, tops whatever. Yeah. And sometimes you'd use the four top for a two top and be like, damn it, I got to fire another two people's worth of whatever. That was the other cool thing. Is so, like, the kitchen was so small. We The most amount of plates we could plate at one time was a four top. Well, one table. One yeah. table. If we had a six top, it was like, Garmache, stop what you're doing. Yeah. We're using your line, <laughs> yeah. and here we go. Yeah. Six top was the most, and we had uh, two of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, dude, Kellyanne and Jake, they ran a tight operation. Dude. That was a fucking, that was a war every night. Every night. Because they were book solid. We were doing, you know, three-course tasting menus, basically. But people would order a la carte, too. Three-course or five-course, Yeah, too. three or five-course, that's right. And uh, I... I fucking that was my chops right there. That's where I learned to like bang. Me, I mean, but dude, still hold yourself back and be able to do it in with good quality and great intentions. Yeah, I remember one of the times that like, you know, we'll we'll say we got yelled at, and the thing that came out of chef's mouth was, you know, I was already frustrated that I had fucked up another thing, and he yells at me and he goes. Cook with love. Like literally. <laughs> so that was angry. what he that was so angry, <laughs> so loud. Cook with love. And I was just like and it like sparked something inside me where I was like something changed and I was like if I'm going to be frustrated about a situation that happens during service, then I'm going to use that energy and make positive things happen from that. Hell yeah. Like my pasta that goes out maybe three minutes late, maybe four minutes late is going to be fucking amazing. Yeah. Better than the fucking on time pastas. Yeah. You know? So that's something that, that you learn there for sure. Hell yeah. You know? And then, you know, and then going back to what I was talking about, like, you know, like I said, you're going to Lula's was able to just like, like I said, you're doing all your fish fabrication. You're doing all your meat fabrication. You're doing all your, you know, your pasta like you just learn you be so many things all at once because you have to. Yeah. And I remember like my first couple of weeks there because I moved 
I moved out of my place at that point. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I had given my, <laughs> my notice. I was out of there, but I had stayed in Rhode Island. So I was living on Dan Wright's couch. Daniel Wright, what hey, up? What's up, man? We lived on the same street. What are the fucking chances? I know. And you so stayed living, up right up the street from me. That was awesome. I'm living so I'm living on his this dude's couch. And dude, I'm struggling because I've never cooked at a level of food like this. Like I, you know, I can cook. I know that. I'm a very good line cook. And back then, I was Arguably, in my opinion, one of the better in the state. You were literally the best. Like motherfuckers. Like when when I when I fucking was like when I was working at Trat, I was like, I want to be like Charlie. Yeah, that was. Like, that's how I want to cook. Like this man was tying two point five gallon buckets to his fucking apron and just <laughs> crushing prep, dicing red bell peppers and just storing them on him his person. Okay. <laughs> And like, uh, you know, just doing 400 cover nights and slaying the beast, you know, with perfect meat temperatures every time. Yeah. Nothing sent back. Like that is something to be said. Yeah. When you're doing 400 covers and everything is perfect and not one problem happens. Dude, those are, you those know? are the nights. Those you, are the when nights. You step outside. When that beer, when you have that beer after that service, oh, that is the best. You go, you pass out in that big ass pile of boxes. Yeah. That you don't have time to break down. Exactly. So you just throw, you just, we would just throw yourself make a on mountain there. of it's... boxes of unbroken down at the end of the night. We'd have to break them all down and you just get your ass whooped and you just go out there at the end. They'd hand you like a beer or like a G and T in a, in a cork container and you just go fall into those boxes and drink that for like six minutes, seven minutes, chain smoke a couple of cigarettes. Uh-huh. And, then and then go back and clean the fryers, baby. Clean the you got the fryers. scrub. But um but that's the thing. So going to Tallulah's I had still never like when I was at you know, when you're doing four hundred covers, you probably have four, maybe five touches on a plate. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got you know, you're it's it's all pretty straightforward, and that's how you make you know you make it work. Um, but Tallulah's shit, we had sixteen 10, components. Yeah, Ten, sixteen components on a damn plate. Be like the prep list like, would be like six dishes, but it would be long. Yeah, it'd like be like the entire page would be taken up, and you're dude, like, this is six dishes. It is, and nuts. you're like, you need, and then everything had three ingredients to it. Like you had to make little these little purees, and like that was the first time I remember when I first started working there. And I had, uh, there was a, a, I needed a quarter pint of something, right? Yeah. So instead of using a, a quarter of fucking cup measure, I used a quarter pint container and I filled it up and I fucking went to do the recipe. And the, the guy that was watching me, his name is Todd. He, he looked at me and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I got quarter, quarter pint of oil. Just like, just like the recipe says, he's like, get the fucking cup container this is not a joke. Yeah. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> like, that was the first time anybody had ever been like, what are you doing? Yeah. And at first I was like, why is this guy talking to me like that? But when that night when I went in the car and went home, I was like, he was right. Like, I was treating that recipe like just any other recipe. Like, just like, eh, whatever. Not like, this is the exact. chef owner's recipe yeah. of the way he wants this done. Yeah. I need to do it this way. You know, and that was a great lesson to learn. Sure. And thank you Todd for teaching me that, you know, and 
I was a little hard headed at the time, so yeah, he had to talk to me a little hard, but it got it got the point across. Yeah. And they got that respect across. And that's what made that place so great. Yeah. Is that even when Chef Jake wasn't there, it was like this is how he wants it. Yeah. So if you have a problem with this, you talk to him about it. Yeah. You know? It doesn't matter what I think. Exactly. It doesn't matter what you fucking yeah. think. It's not about it's not anybody. What, yeah. But his cuisine and how he wants it executed. Because he knows more than we do. Exactly. You know what I mean? And exactly. And that was, that was like, I would not be the chef I am today without that training. Likewise. He not only taught you how to cook, he taught you how to train. He taught you how to lead. And push you know? yourself. And I mean, push yourself. Dude, like, the amount of times that you just be going down like a sack of shit. Just like, I'm talking service started. 10 minutes ago and you're just starting to prep the agnolotis that are on the fucking menu yeah. tonight and you look down and the floor needs to be swept you fucking sleep sweep the sweep floor. the floor exactly you, sweep, you don't you don't look away from the floor and just try and get these pastas done because you're in the shits you fucking see the floor is dirty that takes priority yeah and that is a huge a huge lesson that i i got there and I'm talking about like in a larger scale. Yeah, for sure. Like it's not, and that's that's the other thing is you, you know, reading a lot of these books young, like Michael Roman. I, dude, I'm a nerd. I read all the. I know all the books. I'm sitting here staring at a stack of books. Yeah, I mean, shit. What, just like, like um, over 200 books, I yeah, believe. I'm making so I'm making hoshigaki right now, and I had to take my bookshelf down and turn that into my hoshigaki rack. So there I got go. Just piles of books right now. Yeah, so in my living room. we're in Charlie's apartment right now, and there is about there is more than sixteen cases of persimmons in here. Yeah, I you know you got to you know that that's what always like impressed me about you, man. Because you know we we live together in Newport, Rhode Island, working at Tululan Thames. Yeah, and no matter what, no matter how long we worked, you would go home and work more, <laughs> and I would be man. like. Who is this fucking guy right now? Yeah. You know? You got to. And that that was what taught me, like, work ethic. You know, it was like, you're not done just because your job is done. You, like, you go home. Like, your life is being a chef. Yeah. You live your life as that, and you just work all the time, basically. Yeah. And that's what gives you, you know, that really is what changes you into the person that you know you got two people in my opinion you got two people in a in a kitchen you got you know a a tiny piece of onion scrap on the ground you got the person that sees it and walks by it and you got the person that sees it picks it up and throws it away doesn't matter whose it is doesn't matter who dropped it doesn't matter if it's the fucking guy i don't like that dropped it and i saw him drop it the the onions on the floor Cause you, and you pick it up and throw it away because at the end of the day, Jake Rojas, if you walked in there and saw it on the ground, he'd pick it up and he'd throw it away. Exactly. You know what I mean? You need, you, there's so many people that cook with the mentality that they're just a cook and they stay just a cook. Yeah. If you're a cook and you want to be a chef, you put your mind in the mentality that you are a chef and you do whatever needs to be done to make things right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like exactly. you fucking you walk into the you know, the walk in at the end of the night 
and some doesn't have the right label on it or someone doesn't have a label on it that you know some asshole didn't have time to and put it on there you put the label on it because everything in the walk-in needs to be labeled exactly you know what i'm saying you you're, you do the right you look, thing you look at the par stocks you say you know when there's one box of salt in in the fucking dry store you say if you're not the guy ordering the salt you say hey chef you know we only got one box of salt, right? Can we get more salt? Like, just to make sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, you know, those small things. And, of course, like, a lot of times the chef has it already. But you need, you realize that if there's no salt tomorrow, you're going to the motherfucking store on the way in and picking exactly. up the salt. Or you're dealing with, you know what I mean? You have to deal with the fact that that is like that. It's or like- somebody else is doing it when you're trying to prep. It's a series of anticipating needs yeah. from the guest down to, you know, what I need to order, what is happening ahead of time. It's the hardest thing to plan for. And yeah. that's that's been the worst thing during this COVID thing, because it's like the government will be like shut down tomorrow. Like, Give me a week, bro. <laughs> you know, let me sell through my inventory. Yeah. You know, let me not worry about I just ordered this much meat. You know what I mean, and and then you told me I'm closed. Yeah, you know that's the biggest struggle that I that I think is happening right now. And I think you know, I was telling <laughs> I was telling somebody the other day I was like, just like in those countries that is mandatory to uh, go to the army for a couple years, I think you should go to the army for a couple years and then go work at a restaurant for a couple years, <laughs> and and humble yourself. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Or like, maybe, dude, or honestly, just go do the army thing because. Na- there's a lot of people that we meet in the restaurant industry who have worked in the army and they come to the restaurant industry because it is so similar. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's militaristic and that's the way that Tallulah's was, you know, I'm not yet. Not every place is like that. No, no. And, and you don't, and I'm not saying also that you need to be that way. Sure. To be great because there's people that are of a more calmer nature of a more nurturing nature that make it and are successful. And I'm not taking anything away from that. Absolutely. But in the, in the way that we learned, it was fucking militaristic. It was, this is how I want it. And this is how it needs to be every time. And the unrelenting standard of chef Jake and Tallulah Thames is what made us better chefs and cooks. Yeah. And what made us look at, uh, the importance of understanding where your mise en place comes from, just like you were saying before, yeah. To you know, to how you played it, because that was the coolest thing when we were there. We cooked the food and then we turned around and played. It. <laughs> that was the best, dude. You know, like when you step into the realm of three stars and like this kind of restaurant, other people plate the food for you. Yeah, this is literally like david like and this this is also an interesting i the idea of time management and there's time management and then there's time management to the second yeah you know to look to your partner who you have to to complete this you know to complete this plate you need to be there at exactly the same time and to have no seconds to spare you say when are we coming up and if the answer is four minutes and 20 seconds which it can be, five minutes and fifteen seconds. You you keep you each have a timer. You hit that timer, and you better be up there in four yeah, minutes. Yeah, that's right. We do dude. countdown timers. Dude, uh, exactly. That was the first time I'd ever done that. I was like, 
All right, we're going to call two minutes. We're going to count it down. Dude, and to this day, yeah. to this day, I have that internal clock. Yeah. Like, dude, six minutes can go by, and I'll be like, I know it's been six minutes. Yeah. You know, you know it's mean? been two minutes. And then you, uh, what I do is I test myself against the clock. Uh-huh. You know, if I have something to cook or whatever, and I'm just doing a little R&D, like, I'll put the clock on it. And then I'll, you know, be like, okay, it's time to take that out. And I'll go to the timer and it's be four seconds left. <laughs> yeah. Three seconds left. Love that. And that training is unstoppable. Yeah. And that was all because of Chef Jake. Because that was the first time that I had worked in a restaurant where, and I'm now that I am seasoned, I know that this is the way they work everywhere, is the times on the tickets. Yeah. You know? And just having that deadline and knowing that yeah. there is hell to pay if you don't have that food up on time. Yeah. You know, and, and just seeing down the road an hour while getting your ass kicked, cooking, plating, that was the best training I could have probably ever had. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to plate while you're basting meat. Yeah. Like, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, like turn around, you know, get temps right while, like, succeeding at that at the end of the night and having a great service, like, there is nothing like that feeling. Dude, and spe- that that the feeling, and coming up to that, like I said, that oh, sh- you know, when you're prepping that service, and you're like, oh shit, I may not make this, and you yeah. have that anticipation in the gut of your stomach that just feels like an air bubble, and yeah. you're like, and you don't have time to think about it, you just have time to prep as fast as you can, exactly, and then to feel that wash away. As you get into the groove of yeah. service and then to crush and then end your night, dude, no better feeling. No better feeling. Oh. And the thing is, the stress happens in such a short window of time. Yeah. It's like two minutes at a time Yeah, of stre- of the, the hardest, most intense stress you've ever felt in your life. Yeah. Like, am I going to make it? Like, am I going to live when you're wrapped up in that, that's the most important thing in your life. Yeah. You know, past anything. Literally the most important thing in your life. And we're talking, and right now we're talking about cooking food. Yeah, you know exa- not, exactly. Yeah, we're talking about that's cooking it. food. We're Just not cooking talking, food. Yeah, we're not talking about saving lives. No. We're not talking about, you know, the vast majority of things that people should be terrified about. Yeah. But still, when this is your life and this means the world to you. It's like I said that I'm sure there's a lot of other industries that get that same high off of that, you know, that feeling and that, you know, that anticipation, that fear, all that. Um, And I'm, you know, even within the industry, there's there's a lot of other, you know, feelings that you're getting from it. But it's it's you can't. And that's why people come back to cooking. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why people come back as people leave the kitchens and then. That's why chefs that work in restaurants will leave because they're like, ah, oh, like I don't want to do this. They go do something that's easier and then they come back. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? For like, sure. Because they miss it. Because they're, they're not being challenged enough. Yeah. You know, it's a challenging thing on so many levels, physically, mentally. Yeah. It's like, are you yeah. ready to yeah. take this on? You know, it's incredible. Anyway. So you leave. We We both leave that place. Or actually, I leave. Or, I left did first. you leave before me? Okay, yeah, yeah. I left first. I went down to DC. Obviously, my you I, took over the other place, or you yeah, were sous I chef was, there. I was a sous chef down at DC Coast. Um, that was really great for learning, kind of the because um, you know, one, as much as 
it's important to learn how to cook well. You do need to learn, you know, the the business management side of it. And uh, yeah, I remember you were like, I need to learn the business business yeah. side of this. I need to go. And that was a really great place because it was so structured, and it had been, you know, DC Coast was an institution. That restaurant was there, uh, no longer exists, but I, twenty years, twenty two years, something like that. So like they had it dialed in, and to be able to just see how it all worked. You know what I mean? That was just it. It was so, it was so helpful in yeah. my career. Um, but you know, I once again working at that restaurant in DC, I kind of felt myself kind of once again slipping into that um, comfortableness, that just being comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, I you you're always you know in any profession, you say to yourself, "Where am I in five years? Where am I in ten years?" Yeah. And, you know, at the time I was 25 down there and, you know, I, I was like, fuck man, I, I see myself five and 10 years from now still doing this in DC. And it's like, it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just, I, you know, I I wanted to travel more. I wanted to shake, I wanted to shake up my life a little more. Yeah, exactly. And that's when you're growing out your hair during this time. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, longest hair is yeah. Been. But uh, that's when you reached out. to that's me. That's right, because that dude, you, I'm telling you, you know. I got I got to the restaurant, and you know I had my time there, and I was you know just in it, and you know Tyler helped me out a lot, and then I'm, I go to the garden, and I look at the garden, and I'm like, Charlie needs to work here. Yeah, because. You were the only roommate I had until that time that had plants. Yeah. You just liked plants. And you you were like, hey, my yeah, my dad taught me how to garden. He taught me like, how to garden when I was little. Yeah. And, and it's mean, a skill that you have and you uh-huh. like it. You love it. Yeah, that shit was Like dope. you read books, like textbooks on gardening. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, man. I'd be there watching wrestling and you'd be fucking <laughs> reading fucking gardening books. Dude, you remember at Tallulah's? Remember the garden that I put yeah, on top man. of the Yeah, man. And you put, in? yeah, exactly. And that's, yeah. that's what told me, like, as soon as I saw that garden, I was like, Charlie needs to work here. Yeah. So I called you immediately and I was like, hey, get your fucking ass out here right now. Stay on my couch. Yeah. You need to work here. Yeah. And at the time I was like, I can't do that. And then. I was literally like talking to myself about it. I was like, Charlie, you're 25. You don't have kids. You don't have a girlfriend. You don't own a house. There's literally nothing keeping you here. I'm like, if there was a time to move to fucking California, and I'd never been west of New Orleans. I'm like, the time is now. Yeah, exactly. That's out there. So I, you know, packed up my car, or I gave, as you should always do, I walked in the next day and gave a one month notice. That's right. Chef. That's right. You know Not two saying? weeks. One month. One month. Get it right, people. Days. Get it right. You know what I'm saying? They you give them thirty days to hire the new you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If that guy doesn't work out on day twenty nine, it's not your fault. But if you give them two weeks and the guy doesn't work out, the first guy that they bring in doesn't work out, that's your fault. And well, no, if, if that guy doesn't work out, then like, and then you leave, you're kind of a dick. Yeah. But if they, you know, that guy doesn't work out and then they bring another guy in and it doesn't work out and then bring another guy in, which they can in, in a month, like that's, that's not on you anymore. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So in my opinion, they can always wait for sure. As much as they're like, I need you fucking here right now. Like if they want you to do you, baby, 
You give him one month. So I gave, I walked in the next day, I gave him a one-month notice. Two days after that one-month notice, or two days after leaving that restaurant, I got in my car with my brother and drove out here. That's right. And uh, I think I think sometimes it's crazy because loyalty can be the biggest factor in your success, but can also be a detrimental factor of your success. Mm-hmm. If you stay somewhere too long because you think you have a duty to that place and you're not getting any better or learning every day then you have made the wrong decision yeah you need to move on and find something that really challenges you and i was so happy when you're like yeah i'm fucking coming out there with my brother i was like fuck yeah get to meet your brother you had a great road trip man you like tell me about it stopped it matt i mean you know benton's bacon house yeah dude we used to buy so much bacon from Benton, <laughs> and uh, you know that my last day, I mean, my last order. You got me yeah. the shirt. Yeah, my last I'm order. Wearing... I was like, "Hey, dude," because oh, what's cool it. about Benton is like, you call him to order bacon, and you're either talking to him or you're talking to his wife. And uh, I was just like, "Hey, dude," like, I'm driving cross country. Can I stop by your spot and check it out? And he was like, "Hell yeah!" Went out there, Tennessee, and did that. That was the other. You know, you're working in a industry of people that like to move you know that you they like to go to different cities yeah so everyone spreads out so you know a guy in that city that you can sleep on his couch yeah you know what i'm saying so we did that we drove through the south it was great um you know eight tons of wonderful barbecue uh you know met up with friends that i hadn't seen in years uh and yeah and got out you know, got out to California, man, convin- and convincing Christine Kim, because this is how I I came out to work on the farm, the restaurant at Meadowood's farm. Yeah. At the time, I was pretty fried in the you know terms of cooking, and like I didn't care about the restaurant. I had never been to a three Michelin star restaurant. I'd never eaten at a three Michelin star restaurant. I'd never eaten at a two Michelin star restaurant. I had eaten at some one stars in New York. But I didn't know what it was. You know what I mean? I'd seen it in books, but like, and you hear about it. But I didn't come out there to work at the restaurant. I came out there to work on the farm and to learn how to grow things and work with these really incredible ingredients, vegetables, and see. I mean, the things like, you know, as a chef, you have purveyors coming to you all the time, right? They're always trying to sell you something because that's their job. Like, you're talking to them and you know they help you out with what the things you need and the things you want and they help you learn discover new ingredients but at the end of the day they're coming to you with a list and they're saying this is everything that's available and you think if you don't know the farming aspect of it is this is your entire list of ingredients that you have at your disposal but then i was looking out here at this farm and i'm like yeah this is you know 2005 or yeah not 2005. Sorry, 2012. Yeah, 2013. About then. No, 2014. Excuse me. This is six years ago. It's 2014. We're a little fun. We've been drinking some wine. Yeah, and been, gentlemen. It's okay though. We're on the second bottle. It's okay. It's, it's all right. Time. It's fine. Uh, so, you know, you're looking at this farm and you're like, "Holy shit! This is, what's this oyster leaf? This is a leaf that tastes like oysters." That was like, a badass leaf. You know what I'm saying? There was no like at the time, Chef's Garden hadn't really gotten huge. I certainly wasn't using it. It was there. I'm obviously not knocking that. It's a really wonderful 
uh, company and farm and all that. But like, I'd never seen Oyster Leaf. I'd never seen anybody ever list Oyster Leaf on their, you know, as a available thing to buy. Yeah. Like, I'd never seen sea fennel. Like, I'd never seen like. There's so much ice stuff. plant. Ice plant. What the fuck is ice plant? Yeah, You're exactly. Talking about a plant that keeps its, you know, its bladder molecules on the outside of the plant sounds disgusting. But this shit is looks like it's covered in a disco ball, and it's salty. You know what I'm saying? Like. It, it you know, it's those are those, that farm and, you know, Chef Costa's approach and all the people that have ran that farm is yeah. incredible. Because at the time, yeah, the, at the time it was more of just it was just more of a uh, an idea of uh, what am I trying to say? At the time, it was more of I don't know what I'm trying to say. And I, you know, an inspiration. Okay. It would give inspiration. Like, we were not farming. You know, we had, yeah, you might want to hit that. But at the time, we were on an acre, right? We're just getting into our second acre of farmed land. And, you know, you're not really growing enough corn to use for an entire season on an acre of land. You know what I mean? So at the time, it was just, you know, we're growing 145 different crops in 30 feet bed, 30, you know, 30 feet of bed space. So a lot of these are herbs. A lot of these are experimental, like tomatoes, peppers, all these crops that are really there for inspiration to the chef. So what's really that's what's really cool. We're not. At the time, the farm was not really there for production. You know what I'm saying? Um, the the fact that they, they grew cool things, I'd be like, okay, here's your regular harvest, but here's like what we've been working on. Yeah. is like something that I never thought of. I was like, this is a farm doing R&D. Exactly. Like they're literally testing things to see if they can grow it on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. For a restaurant to be able to use it the entire season that that thing is available, so and yeah, that was another yeah. cool thing. And we're talking, so we're talking three years lead time. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Exactly. We're talking about we show you something, the chefs are excited. We want to put this on the menu right now. Sorry, this is R and D. We grew three plants. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And then, okay, we want to go big next year. We go big next year. But we only grew three plant plants, and you know something happens, you know we fuck it up. There's no harvest that year. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or we don't, or we grow way too much of it, and it's like that's the problem is the fact that they we want it we want to use it, but we realize we only actually needed ten plants. We didn't need a hundred plants. Yeah. So but trying the, to figure out the R and D process, you know, and building years of that. Well, you gets you ultimately shot. to where we're at now, you Absolutely. know, where it's like perfect. Yeah. The perfect amount of things grown. Yeah. The perfect amount of things not grown. Exactly. You know? Because, and that's like, I mean, shit, how long has the farm been here? Um, Pretty Nine years? Nine years now, yeah. Something like that. So, like, obviously, it's you're growing and you're growing and you're learning and you're learning. Your land, your weather, you know, your terroir, you know, when you're getting your heat spikes, you know, how how often to plant, you know, you, that takes years and years to figure out. And especially, and now 
what's happened with with Zach, our farmer, and Amy's our farmers, and you know the rest of the crew. Shout out to Zach, Zach Yoder, Zach, Zach Yoder, Amy Smith. Amy what Smith, up? Big ups. Um, now they're able to just anticipate. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're they're knowing. It's pretty remarkable, man. Dude, they're seeing like, this shit in the in the catalog, and they're like, I know these guys are gonna want this, and I know how yeah. much of these guys are gonna. From want From the this. evolution of like, you know, you work at the restaurant. Took me three years to get to sous chef. At that point, you get to go to the garden meetings, you yeah. know, and they're like, they're telling you all this information that you don't know shit about, because all you've been doing for the last three years is head down cooking meat you know cooking fish to your the absolute excellence that it is Mm -hmm. and you don't know anything about farming and i think that that's the coolest thing about this restaurant uh group is the fact that there's something to be learned every single day yeah and the knowledge builds it's not just like i learned this one thing today that's it no you learn that one thing and guess what? Two weeks later, when you don't expect it, you're going to learn another thing about that thing. Yeah. And that, like, the the ultimate quest for knowledge that Chef Costal leads is one of the best. Yeah. You know? And it's it's such an all-encompassing, you know, knowledge. Yeah. Like, you know, the cook, you know, not all cooks, no. You know, you can fuck up a piece of meat and feel bad. Right, you can overcook a small piece of meat and you feel bad, and you're like, "Man, shit, that animal had a life," you know, literally for the sole purpose of going on this plate, and now I can't put this on the plate, and that's what really crushes you. But at the same time, did you ever think about that with a winter squash? Because at the same time, you know, you're you've got someone like I said ordering seeds in January, right? planting these seeds out in you know late spring right you're growing this plant you're weeding this plant you're checking on this plant you're making sure you know field mice aren't gnawing on it you're picking it up off the ground you're putting shade over it and i'm talking with all of the you know all the winter squash you know this takes so much time and effort for a person then you're picking the winter squash then you have to age it you know what I mean? You have to so it dries and the sugars because you know you ever pick a winter squash out of the field and cut it open and try and eat it is terrible. You know you have to let it dry. You have to let those sugars in it really like come out to the point where this you know it, it's almost December now. You know what I'm saying? So it's been almost it's been ten or eleven months since somebody's been thinking about that damn squash, and now the cooks. A sous chef is down here at the garden being like, hey, I fucked this squash up. And the farmer's being like, you are a motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Like, you like, you know how much time I spent on this and yeah. you fucked it up? Like, that reverence of a cook and chefs, cooks, sous chefs, chefs, for him them to be able to look at these ingredients – and know really and in, in the grasp you know of, of the, things. the entire process that it takes to make it's this thing so much work to yeah. make this small thing when you say farm to table like it's easy to say that but do you really know yeah that should take six months yeah i mean yeah you're looking table. at yeah and that's the other thing is like how many people think tomatoes are ready in may 
a lot of people think yeah. that. The five by six tomato is one of those anomalies to me that I'm like, they literally named it the five by six <laughs> tomato because five by six fit in a case. Yeah. They named it by the fact that they genetically modified it to fit this many in a case. Yeah. And I'm like... Or bred it for that specific reason. Yeah. Like, they didn't breed it for the flavor. They didn't breed it for the flavor. <laughs> yes. And that that is the most... The coolest thing about the culinary garden at Meadowood is that they grow things for flavor. Yeah. You know? People in California at the farmer's market grow things for flavor. Yeah. And, and it makes you know it makes you sad about the fact that most of the farms in America, meaning most of the farmland yeah. taken up in America, is just these GMO farms making you know basically growing corn to keep the fucking economy of fast food going. Yeah, to and feed, all the other growing, shit. Yeah, growing that shit. All the corn, other bullshit. So they can feed those you know literally not even to feed people corn to feed animals shit corn. To feed people shit. Shit animals. Animals. <laughs> shit animals. But, yeah, dude, it's, it's really wonderful. Like, that – and so that's why I came to this farm. Yeah, for sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so so you came to the farm, and then, you know, I'm, I'm doing my tenure in the kitchen. Yeah. And then it's about time where you're done at the farm. Yeah. You so know? I, was at, I was at the farm. I worked there for two and a half years. Once again, it's one of those things, like – I didn't think I was going to be for there for that long, but just the incredible. The amount of knowledge after time. Yeah. You just learn so, there's just so much to Cause learn. Because, you know, even me, like, I'm here at the Charter Oak today. It's been seven years. Yeah. And I'm still here happily. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, Looking forward to the next thing, but still, like, invigorated. By yeah. by the knowledge and by the ability to use things from our own farm, all yeah. that, yeah. you know? And that's and that really is a chef, and this is an interesting thing for me, getting, you know, aging as a chef, right? Um, what am I trying to say? So, the, as a young chef, all you want to do is see these new experiences, you're every two years, every year you leave a restaurant, you work at a different restaurant, you, you know, you move to a different city, you go to a different thing, you know, you're really, your focus is on seeing as many things as you can and you do that. And it's kind of a shallow way of doing it by just like literally moving yourself to these different places. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing, but you know, I don't, I don't know who said it, but I remember reading this where you get more out of life by planting yourself in a place and simply looking around what is there, what is around you. Because these relationships that I'm making with these people after two years, after three years, after four years, you know, these are the, these are people that are really excited about food, but I would never have met them if I didn't go to say like a farm conference or you know, go to this random farmer's market on this certain day and see what they have, talk to them, get their phone number, start, you know, a conversation. You really, you know, you start, a perfect example is this, this, you know, these wineries that have this really amazing fruit, these old timers that had farms back in the day that had these really wonderful trees, 
you know, and this other, you know, tons of fruit, tons of vegetables. These people that have literally devoted their lives on growing specific things the best way, you're not meeting them and developing a relationship with them by simply going, knowing them for six months and then fucking off. Yeah. Like, it's that, hey, Consistent. how you doing? It's that. Merry Christmas. How are you? I haven't talked to you since the summertime when you grew those really amazing cucumbers. Really looking forward to next year. You know, the blackberries that we're getting. You know, I'm Mount Veter blackberries, Dude, the best blackberries I've ever had in my life. Best blackberries I've ever had in my entire And the life. relationship that you hold with a lot of those farmers, because after you left that role as gardener, you yeah. went into special project sous chef, which is well, what you are to this day. Well, yes, actually, I I spent a little bit of time in between that. So that's I left right. The farm. You uh, you baked at uh, Della Fattoria. Yeah. How long was that? Uh just a few months. That Baking was... sourdough. See, you know the thing that I you know respect about Charlie and why I have the him on this podcast is the fact that when he wants to get knowledge about something. He will read six books about it and then go do it for a month. You know what I mean? And he want to learn how to bake bread, so he went to Della Fattoria and he worked there. An institution. Yeah. How long did you work there? I was there three months. Uh-huh. Kathleen Weber. Yeah. You know, God rest her soul. Really wonderful woman. Incredible baker. This is an institution that many, many San Francisco Bay Area chefs have gone through. Yeah, for sure. And... You know, just to be the, there at that. Almost the originator, the OG of the sourdough yeah. in California. And I'm out there on in her barn, yeah. in, in her ranch, on, where they bake the actual bread. You know, they have a really wonderful shop in Petaluma, but I'm talking like where they bake all the bread that goes to the Bay Area. And just to get a glimpse of that, because, you know, you're, you're reading this, you're reading that. It's really confusing. Uh, and you can only, you know... How many bread loaves of bread can you make at home, even if you're passionate about it? And how, you know, you're not really learning unless you're baking 25 loaves at one time in one bake and looking at it and saying, I remember I shaped this this way and it's perfect. And I moved my hand the wrong way. I didn't really get a nice shape on that. And now it's all fucked up. There, you, so you need that like just be able to see different things to really control and understand what you're doing correctly. And I would have loved to continue doing it longer, but you know, this next role at the restaurant was, you know, spoken about knocking at your door, baby, knocking at the door, but I really needed, I, I cannot, uh, I cannot, you know, the value of hands-on experience of just doing it day in and day out. I mean, we do, you know, Monday through Thursday, we'd bake a thousand loaves a day. Saturday, Sunday, we'd break 2,000, 2,500 loaves a day. And, you know, to see that start to finish and the work that that goes into it, like, it's incomparable, that knowledge. um, I remember you let me know, like, you know, that you went there and they were like, hey, this bread sucks, Charlie. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. Why are you mixing this bread like this? You're like, damn. Yeah. You know, they show, it's the same deal with everything. It's like you do it exactly the way they tell you to do it. And it's just that process of being able to do that skill as well as they can. And it's hard. Like I said, any restaurant you go to, any job you go to, you always suck at the beginning. But it's literally you like – it's like you, when someone's doing it, you watch their hands. 
And while they're doing it with their hands, you are imagining doing it with your hands, right? So you already have that feeling in your head. And then the next step is, okay, you're allowed to do a little bit of this with me. And then that way, you don't look like a complete asshole when you can put when you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, have I mean, a you little, don't know how to do it at all. Yeah. So you have yeah. a little bit of thought into it. And then there, it's just practice and repetition. That was one of the things that I loved about Chef Jake. Because yeah. he would put his hands on you and show you how to move. Yeah. He'd exactly. be like, no, you move like this. You dance like this. Like, this is a dance, and this is how you do it, sir. Yeah. You yeah. know? That, that was... The molding there was great. Um, so you went to Del Fattoria, you baked for this time, and then you go back to the restaurant. Now, your special project sous chef. Yes. What is your first thought here? What are you working on? What do you even think this position is? So in my head, this <clears throat> this position is focused on uh, it's long-term projects, whether that be building relationships with local farmers whether that be making misos that need to age for a year, whether that be making hot sauce that needs to age, vinegars, things that take a long time. I'm talking things that you need to keep up with. You either look at every day, you stir every day, you move every day, sometimes twice a day. Like These things that may not come to fruition for six months, but you're the guy that's got to baby them. You're the guy that's got to realize who has... You know, seasonally working with these farmers who has the best cherry, right, that you can find. One individual cherry One that is the best. specific varietal of cherry. And we're talking fruit varietals, which we're, we're talking tree ripening fruit, like stone fruit specifically. You've got two, three weeks window, you know what I'm saying, where that's available a year. So you're trying to figure out, I need to find this variety of cherry. I need to find who grows the best and I need to figure out A to Z how I can preserve that to get through three months of service. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's, that's complicated. You know what I'm saying? That's having the foresight to understand what a dish is going to look like six, you know, when you're not, when it's not even on the plate, when it's not even, hasn't even been our deed yet. And it's figuring, all right, each dish is going to have three cherries on it, right? Each dish is going to have five cherries on it, right? So multiply that up by 80 people a night, yeah, right? Multiply that by three months. You know, all right, minus, you know, lower it down because some of them might be ugly. You know, okay, I need you know, 80 pounds of cherries. I need 200 pounds of cherries. I need 400 pounds of yeah, cherries. Yeah, you need 300 and... 83,000 each cherries. Yeah, how many how many how many pounds fit in a jar? Let's get these jars here. Like we got to buy the jars. We have to realize how much are we going to preserve them in syrup? Are we going to preserve them in vinegar? Are we going to do a hybrid of the both? How is, you know, how is this going to look at how like figuring out how much we're going to need trying to figure out when the fuck I am going to process all these things. Yeah. Cuz you I know remember. what I'm saying? We've still I'm working in this kitchen where service is going on, prep is going on. I can't just roll and take up half of the, you know, the the, the stove. The top. area. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I can't just be spreading out. Where am like our walk-in? Our walk-in was what? Tiny. Five feet wide by 
12 yeah. feet long. It was a, yeah. You know it I'm was saying? a a jail cell. Yeah. It, if where you were are to we, measure it by a jail cell. Where right are we there. going to, where are we going to store 400 pounds of cherries on top of all of this stuff that's coming in every day from our farm being put in there, you know, all the things, all the proteins, all the fish, all the pastas, you know, whatever, like all the dairy, like trying to navigate that whole thing and do that for one for cherries. All right. And then we move on into, you know, that's right. Not, not just after cherries, are you then done? Then we move on into plums. Then we move on into this. Then we move on to that. And like, sometimes a lot of this is going on at the same time, especially in the summertime. You know, you've got tomatoes coming in while peppers are coming in while, you know, eggplant are coming in and everybody wants you to do something and just stopping, focusing, doing that. Um, you know, at the time I was going to uh, uh, these farm conferences every year whenever I could. I remember that. You'd go to the Eco- Rare Seed Conference, right? Well, I'm talking I'm talking the, the yearly eco farm down in uh, – Pacific Grove, that's huge. I remember like, you'd tell me about that and I'd be like, how does he even know that yeah, that's happening? Yeah, but then also, you know, that's, like you said, joining in the California Rare Fruit Grower Society. You know what I mean? A lot of these guys are like small, you know, small home people that like, you know, a lot of these people are just some guy that's really into this weird fruit that's only, he only grows for flavor because the yield sucks and he's got five trees in his backyard and it's me coming up to him being like, hey dude, you want to sell me three of those five trees worth of fruit, you know, and trying to negotiate that, see how that looks, you know, and, and, you know, traveling up, you know, traveling up to, to Washington state and going to the Cascadia grains conference and trying and coming back down and trying to figure out how, you know, how that works in aspect of grain growing and how, you know, how to do it in California. But at the same time, when you're up there, you're meeting all these great California wheat growers and then coming down here and trying to work with them. You know what I mean? Trying to work with your farmer at your farm, trying to say to ourselves, does this make sense to grow like on a large scale? Can we do we have an, do we have an acre or so to spare on another project that we're starting up? Maybe we can grow wheat. You know what I mean? Grow you know, grow spring wheat through the winter, like, you know, like a lot like they do down here. And, um, yeah, just these, these big projects and, you know, it, that's where it started. And then, you know, just trying to build this larder. Yeah. It grew, man. You, and so you, you basically went from preserving fruit and, you know, making pickles to making cool shit like misos. Yeah. And kojis. Yeah. And, and just amazing shit that's that takes days and effort throughout those days yeah. to make that shit happen. Like, yeah, like like driving, you know, driving back to, you know, living in Napa, driving back to St. Helena in the middle of the night without anybody knowing so I can stir the koji. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And then coming back like... All that because effort... Because you don't trust anybody else to yeah. do it. And then the effort behind, uh, you know... People not knowing what you're doing. Yeah. And, and then, those people eat, going to that restaurant, eating from that plate, you know, and, and getting the information like, hey, this comes from this farm. But did you know that Charlie spent all night prepping this shit? <laughs> Hell no. Hell no. But you know? that's, that's really what's the beauty of it. Good is, is working, you know, working with John, the CDC at the time, John yeah. Hong, fucking, 
Shout out to John Hong. Yeah, shout out to John Hong and, and uh, Cat Hong. And Cat Hong, obviously, obviously Cat Hong as well. Especially, you know, and and that's when, that's the whole other thing is when we opened Charter Oak. I was a big part of that as well, doing the same thing for the Charter Oak. But really going from, you, know, you can preserve cherries any day of the week, however you think it should be. But, you know, it ain't doing shit if it's not special enough to get on the menu. So, like, working with the chef on his idea on how to get this on the menu. You know what I'm saying? Like, making things so many times over, having him taste it. Because John Hong, best best damn palate best I've ever Best damn palate I've ever. In my life. Like, the, the flavors that he was picking up. Yeah. And I'm like, this man smokes cigarettes. <laughs> How? This man smokes tobacco on a daily basis. How can you taste better? And he, than I you? hope he quit by now, but God damn. I'm sure he did. You but. know, because for a long time, you know, I smoked cigarettes when I was younger and I was like, I need to quit this because it's going to fuck up my taste buds. Yeah. And for him to just pee all over that <laughs> and fucking taste shit when he smokes, you know, so many cigarettes. I'm just like, God damn, John. Yeah. You yeah. know? So working with him on True that. True talent, man. That's been dope. And especially with him, you know, he's got this great, you know, Korean background. And, you know, I'm a white boy from PG County, Maryland. Like, when I was making misos, like, how many misos have I actually had in my life? Not many. So, like, you know, tailoring this with him and having, and with an idea of, like, hey, Let's make a miso out of chestnuts. Let's fucking age this chest this chestnut miso in these whiskey these used whiskey barrels. And that's another part of these relationships I'm talking about where you go out you get this whiskey, you know, you talk to this guy who makes whiskey and he's like, "Oh, dude, I'd love to be a part of that. I actually just dumped my whiskey out of this barrel yesterday." Hands me a barrel smoky smelling like whiskey, filling that with miso, aging that with an idea like and i'm talking that takes it that sat in that that you know that barrel for a year so we planned on a menu item a year in advance that's what's cool man you know that's what, what got me about the restaurant because it was like they're serving last year's peaches yeah you know and the coolest part about it is like my boy charlie who i've worked with for so fucking long is the guy who got this product? Yeah, harvested it, preserved it, and now we get to use it on the plate. Yeah, uh, and I think yeah. that you know that's a it's a it's a legacy unto itself. I from that, that thing, man. you know, from that thing being grown to you making the relationship with the guy who grew it to then you harvesting it, bringing it to the restaurant, canning it or not, and us using it was the best story that we could have ever told for any ingredient. No, yeah, it was dude, it's you know I was definitely, you know, big shout out to Chris Costow because that guy literally saw one of his saw the my abilities in one of his farmers. Like when I was farming and this is kind of an like thinking about the role a lot of people kind of it's a touchy sp- subject about, you know, chefs and kind of their neurosis and like the fact, you know, a lot of us kind of bag 
a lot of people are bagging chefs now on the fact that they work a million hours and expect work a million hours. But you know what? I don't really think it's as much as that is the fact that there are people out there that have this drive in them to work these hours. Yeah. Because, like, nobody was – at when I was on the farm, nobody was asking me to, you know, stay up until 2 o'clock in the morning looking through 50 different seed purveyors trying to find the coolest, weirdest, most specific ingredient to his cuisine that we could. And this dude saw me putting in those hours. He saw me have passion, and he he gave me the opportunity to believe in myself. He cultivated that. To, yeah, to yeah. just say, hey, you know what I'm saying? Like, I see you're focused on this, but what if we just turn this focus elsewhere and see what you can do here? And that's that was really cool. It's like, like I said, I, I didn't... I didn't work at the garden at the restaurant in Meadowood to work at the restaurant in Meadowood. You know what I'm saying? I worked at the farm because I wanted to work at the farm and I wanted to excel at that. And he saw in me what I could achieve in that role. And he did. And, and then I was able, you know, I was able to do it and I, I, you know, you put that laser focus on it and, you know, it's a shit ton of work. From when I got there, you know, knowing what the larder was when I got there to when after you took over the program and literally doubled it, like, I was like, God damn. And it always yeah. makes me think of this one. I watched this one documentary on Netflix about homeless people on Skid Row. Let's, let me tell you how this connects. Right I didn't now. I didn't start out homeless on Skid Row. Though. He didn't not start yet. homeless on Skid Row. That's not what this connects. Okay. All right. So this man. He's talking about this old lady on Skid Row, and he's like, you know what? If I had a garden or a farm, I would just have a farm so this little old lady could put her trash in it because she was a trash collector, right? They're all homeless. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is the same scenario where it's like you need to build Charlie a bigger room because he <laughs> is going to fill it yeah, with preserved ingredients native to california yeah where else will you find that yeah dude. fucking nowhere i'm talking about chrysanthemum flowers lily flowers all mushrooms when i say all mushrooms i'm not going to go into what kind of mushrooms because i mean all fucking mushrooms that are native to northern california that are edible yeah yeah not the poison <laughs> and all these things and it's like you walk into this room and the only reason you have those ingredients is because of one man and that is hard to say at these you know these other three-star restaurants that have 60 to 80 people ready to go yeah. ready to go harvest those things mm -hmm. like the fact is this man did it on his own and maybe with the help of us sometimes you know yeah and that is one of the biggest victories I've ever seen in your career. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, and yeah. none, 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 none of it could be done without the fucking thinking behind Chef Costow and the, ex the, the restaurant itself. Yeah. And before all, with all the people that came before then. Yeah. We're all, we're all honestly just yeah. building. We're all building it because Cam Cameron rates was the first one. Yeah. He was the first one to build the fact that there could be, a position in a restaurant where this man goes and harvests things on the wild. 
yeah. and makes vinegars and makes preserves. Mm-hmm. That was Cameron Rates. Yeah. You know? Shout out and, to Cameron Rates. Yeah, shout out to Cameron Rates. And it's like it wouldn't have been done if it wasn't for that man's interest and that interest peaking itself in Chef Costa and him being like, This is valuable toward the cuisine that I am building. Yeah, let's for, develop yeah. this. Yeah. And you know, you get there, you double the program and it becomes amazing and I gotta say the best part about it is you look at both restaurants and you're part of a lot of those menu items at mm-hmm. both restaurants. Yeah. And that's what's cool about it. I mean that's I mean that's why you do it. Yeah. Like there was you know, the twenty like I ain't gonna lie, the work was put in. Like Yeah, for the, sure. Dude, the I'm talking about the peaches being the twi- peeled. Yeah, the, I'm talking the, the 24-hour the, nights. Yeah, the, the fe- working through the nights. The feijoa flowers being harvested. Yeah, the fucking man coming Charlie. in earlier. Yeah, the staying later. Yeah, and you know, like I said, a lot of people they kind of dog that because they're like, well, why couldn't they just hire three people to do that? And that's because it's not a special at that point. Yeah, and, and you know. It's the passion. It's the passion. It's you like think, you don't you don't do this shit for the money. No, and neither do, do any the, of us. You do it to be in what your eyes yeah. is the best. Yeah, exactly. And like and that's you, it. you come in, you come into this this team, right? The the restaurant I met with this team, the Charter Oak, this team, and I like to compare it to like a football team or a basketball team. You know what I'm saying? Like. Allen Iverson, he didn't become who he was with his abilities on working eight-hour days. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? He he did nothing but eat, sleep, and think about basketball to become what he did, to achieve what that team did. You know what I'm saying? It's, uh, it's all about you, you sign up for this, and you know what you're getting yourself into. And that is to create something that's much bigger than yourself. Yeah. And and really, it can't be done by a bill. You know, you it's a restaurant. You know, you're not going to have. I mean, certain restaurants do. You know, I don't know how they work. You know, business wise, having forty cooks, they're all still working long days. But you know, you're not going to have forty cooks working eight hour days five days a week and being able to achieve what you need to achieve. No, like definitely that's, not. it's just not happening. It and takes work further than labor laws. <laughs> you know what it, I mean? It just, it's have passion. provided. It's, it's yeah, passion. It's, yeah. It's a passion. It's, it's the, the time, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know like, you know, we, we charter Oak uses Saba. You know, I have the ability I'm, I'm working with, the vineyard next to, you know, the restaurant, which is one of the most premier vineyards in Napa. And they're giving me all of their great pumice. You know what I'm saying? So they're making this wine, pressing it, and they've got this really incredible great pumice, which is like the skins, the seeds, and everything like that. It's just incredible tasting. and But I get that on one day, everything I can get. They've got more than I would ever need, and every year it just gets more. I'm filling you know, a hundred gallons, 150 gallons of this great pumice. But you know what? I've got one week to turn that all into Saba. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, 
sub that in the process is, is like, you know, it's essentially boiling down large vats, re, uh, huge reductions, large quantities of, vo- of volume of water and syrup. And, and, uh, that's the coolest thing about, that. about cooking. When you say reducing, it's like people don't fathom. Yeah. This is almost 44 quarts of liquid being turned into a pint. Yeah. You know, being turned into a couple of pints. And I'm talking, and, and right into a couple of pints and we need 48 fif- pints. We need 15 gallons yeah. to get us through the next three months of this busy ass summer. So it's like, I've got one week to do this and I've got a kitchen that runs regular service and the cooks come in earlier. So it's like, you, nobody asked you to do this, but I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm doing it because it's fucking dope. It is cool as shit to be able to get this incredible product turn this into another incredible product in a span of a few amount of uh, a small amount of time. It's badass. So like, that's why I do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't do it because I want recognition for it. I don't do it because I think, you know, it can't be done a different way. You know, I can't reach out to a different vineyard and do that. I'm like, dude, this is the best of the best. I have this amount of time. I'm going to do what needs to be done. And, create something that's just fucking cool and that's it with all these special things all these special ingredients all these really wonderful things that are grown in this area is like there's such a small window where they're perfect and trying to find that window and lengthen it to being a year from now because you know the idea of food it's like it would be cool like you can preserve peaches and use them in the winter great but it's coolest if you can preserve them in multiple different ways albeit be it making a vinegar out of peaches preserving peaches in honey like like hachimitsu style um making um a canning in a mixture of sugar and vinegar sugar you know or or rock sugar candy sugar you know having all these components available to use next year to make a dish where it's like we want to do peaches We've found this most the most incredible peach that is the most delicious when it's ripe and fresh, and we're going to use that. And we've found a different type of peach that's really incredible canned, and we're going to use that as a small bit of puree or a small bit of this or that. We've found another one that has this really bright acidity and really vibrant flavor, but has the shit texture, but is a peach that you know, has been around and is very important to California agriculture, we're going to preserve that in honey. Like, and being able to use all of those ingredients during the peak season of what you want to use with that fresh peach, it just, it, it just puts, you know, speaks volumes to what that ingredient can be, what that dish could be. That's true. And that's the focus of what, you know, Chris Costow and his methodology and, that's not a real word, I don't think, but <laughs> his his view good. on food and his dishes and how that really like focuses that and and how that's really affected how our farm works, how our cooks think. How many cooks out there are thinking, you know, we have our menu planning for our farm in January for the summertime. How many cooks are really, you know, thinking of a dish? That they're going to put on the menu 
in August, in the first week of August, that, you know, has to sit down in January when it's rainy and cold as fuck out, and you're standing there trying to picture a dish, what kind of tomatoes do you want, chef? Well, let's figure it out. You know what I mean? I want this type or that type. I have a vision of this. The farm works with it. You know, and they might, because at the end of the day, a lot of the cooks, they're not looking through these magazines. They don't know every single tomato in the world that's out there. So they're talking to the farmer that's has better knowledge of what it could be who's looking for that specific thing that the chef doesn't even really know he needs or wants. And that starts so much earlier than you could ever imagine. And that's what's really cool about this entire project. These long-term projects, these special projects. That's what's cool about it. But Fuck yeah. Yeah, man. That's what brought me here. That's what, you know, that's why I've stayed for, you know, shit in march it'll be seven years yeah i mean uh, i've been working with charlie now for 13 years you know i've been a long time dude yeah it's been sick to see you you know to see you grow as well as a chef like how how and how cool it was honestly for me to come you know put my focus on working on the farm and watching you succeeding in the kitchen and the amount of pride because, you know, once again. Because like, you had something to fucking directly do with that. I literally gave you your first job. Yeah, man. Where I was, you know, watching you do all first the sous chef. things. Yeah. And all the to watch shit. you be I remember a the, better chef. There was one time where I was, uh, you know, I had, I got an order on Garmage. And uh, we were pretty busy. Not that busy, but, you know, busy enough to where you were on the station. And you were making this salad. And you're like, I'm not going to put it out to this time. And I was like. What's up, man? Why don't you put it up now? You know? And I just had that mentality of like, yeah, just crush it. Just get it out as soon as possible. And it's like, dude, they ordered a fucking filet. Like, this shit's going to take 25 minutes to get there. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to fuck their experience over over getting this salad out early. Yeah. You know? And that really showed me like, oh, this is much more than just like, I get the tickets, I make the food. It's if I make this food at this time, how is that going to affect the guy who's cooking the meat later on in this meal? Yeah. You know, and that is one of the most important lessons to learn as a as a line cook is respect for the other stations. Yeah, it's working as a team. No matter how easy you think that station is or how hard you think the station is. Respect everything. Yeah. And there's so much more that you don't even see in the front of house. Exactly. You know, like exactly. Why don't they pick this up? It's like, cause maybe they have fucking shit to do. <laughs> maybe they're pouring yeah, wine. Maybe they're pouring wine. Maybe, maybe they're, they're talking to the guests. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that was one of the cool things about Charter Oak is like you go out talk to the guests. You know what it's like yeah. to talk to the guests, and that's another thing about you know Chef Costa that's that's cool is like he made you talk to people mm-hmm. he made you he made it important to be able to talk about what you're doing and why you're doing it in front in of front people of people that you don't know yeah, yeah. because there's Which a lot of times where you know when i first got there i was table side comi and it's like you had to mm-hmm. learn how to talk to people and that was the first time what i realized was like wow this was important yeah, I mean, shit, public speaking, yeah. you would not think yeah. 
that you know you're like you get into the job as being the guy in the back you would not ever think that public speaking would be important until you walk into your first pre-meal yeah and you're standing in front of all these you know these servers that you know that are all staring at you and the ability to portray what you want confidently is incomparable it's a huge huge thing that you need to have in your yeah. life and as you know, and you, it's just something that you don't think of uh, that is valuable, you know, when you're getting into the industry. And that's just, you know, such a minute thing. Like you have to be able to talk to guests. You have to be able to talk to investors. Like you need to be able to talk to people that are going to make your restaurant go. And if all you think you ha- have to do is be able to cook food delicious, like that's not what being a you're chef is about. You're fucking wrong, dog. Yeah, that's not what being a chef is about. Yeah. Like. Oh, it's dude. I, I loved it, man. I, I can't, I can't say enough how cool this industry is and what you can do, uh, in it. Yeah, man. I mean, some of the coolest things that I've you know learned from you is like the relationship that you can have with certain farmers at the farmers market. That's Thursday market, you know. In Marin, it's like you know all those people. Yeah, I've been I've been going there every Thursday for four years. Now. Yeah, man, it's yeah. like the fact that like you know you were gone this this past uh, couple weeks and I I went and it was like they would be like, hey man, where's Charlie? <laughs> like I don't want to fucking talk to you about the peppers, dude. Yeah, where is the man? I'm calling him right now. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man, he's on vacation. I don't know, call, I'm don't getting, don't call him. You I'm know? getting that phone call. I'm in the middle of the Utah desert. Yeah, and they're and like. like yeah, I don't give a fuck, dude. I'm calling this guy because I know that he knows what he's talking about. And I'm picking up. Yeah, and know? that that respect right there from those farmers at the at the farmers market is invaluable. That's cool, man. You know, because those are the people that grow the shit that we use. Yeah. You know, and there's no other person. Just as you said, if if like you fuck up the crop, that's it. Yeah. There's no other like, oh well, maybe we can make this work. Like, no, it's not perfect. <laughs> yeah, that that's special it. thing. It's gone. Yeah, you know, you were waiting until next yeah. year. Yeah. Talk about a rug pulled out from under you, man. Yeah. That's a lot of shit in this industry. Yeah. That just could go wrong like that, and that's it. Yeah. You know, you know not to mention all the crazy wrong in the industry that's happening right now, but that's, that's true. another. Yeah. That's another conversation. That's with another someone. conversation for another time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, Charlie Apple, thank you very much for being on this podcast. Sure, it's I good hope, to shoot the shit. I hope you people found this inspiring. Yeah. And uh, just know that Charlie is on to some fucking crazy shit in the future. We're working on so, some stuff. Uh, yeah, so listen out to him. And uh, what's your Instagram, Charlie? Uh, that would be Charlie Apple. Just Spelled Charlie Apple. A-P-P-E-L. Not like the fruit. Not like the fruit. Just like John Coffee. Not like the coffee. <laughs> or just like the coffee. Right on. Know. Well, appreciate it, Dave. Yeah, man. You're the man. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Signing off, baby. Later. Sucio talk. Charlie Apple.